0: before putting Danyan on. As you know, uh, as a talk show host, I try to remain objective in my interviews and in my relationships and in my belief system. I try to remain objective. That is to say, I try not to be an advocate. However, the case of Danyan Brinkley is a little different because I have personal knowledge about Danyan. Daniel, a lot of personal knowledge, uh, maybe more than he would wish me to have, but I have seen him do things that there is totally and completely no explanation for, physical and mental. Daniel Brinkley is a gifted, I'm not even sure psychic is the right word. He is a person gifted uh, with although you don't want the kind of gift, I guess, the way he got the gift, uh, burdened with knowledge about other people. And I, I would think it would be as much of a burden as a blessing. He has used it uh, certainly in a blessed way and has done work with uh, people who are dying because Danian has died. Danian most recently, um, once again, uh, believe me when I tell you, uh, he was as close to death as you can get without being dead and not coming back. But what I guess I want to say about Daniel is that I extend myself beyond the normal, hopefully objective manner of interview by telling you that Daniel Brinkley is the real McCoy. I repeat, uh, Daniel Brinkley is the real McCoy. And I guess I better also tell you that Daniel Brinkley is now not on the line. Something happened to him. Anyway, I really want you to understand that, that, uh, Daniel is a very special person, uh, in every way that you can imagine. And if there is an authentic Daniel, uh, an authentic person, are capable of the kinds of things that we have been talking about, precognition, knowledge of things that are about to come, then that, of course, is Danian Brinkley. So what I'm going to do is uh, reach out and I'm going to run uh, one more commercial so that I might get him back uh, uh, back on the line again. So Danian, if you would please uh, hang tight, we're about to call you back. I don't know what happened to the phone connection. But I'm used to this sort of thing occurring. Uh, we'll get him back on the line, and in a moment, hopefully, if everything's okay, Daniel, are you... lived ...by the light, and I understand it has sold a million copies now, and, of course, his newest, At Peace in the Light. Here is Daniel Brinkley. Daniel Art. <laughs> it's so good to hear your voice sounding human. Oh, and it's so great to be able to do it. I mean, you know, this last
1: round has been a
0: Lessing teacher. Uh, Danian, uh there are, I guess you have an announcement you would like to make, too. Absolutely. The first thing I'd like to do, Art, is for everybody out there who knows me
1: and who helped me so much through this last uh four or five months, I wanted to say thank you. I mean, from the bottom of my heart. Because if it hadn't been for what you were doing and thinking and the prayers and the things that really spiritually mean what happens to us, all of it came for me to look at it and see, and it once again saved my life. So for those out there, the people of the night and those who know me through art, thanks from the bottom of my heart, the other thing I'd like to tell people that if you didn't get your books because of... What happened to me during this last experience and then what happened in the house? Send me a postcard. Post Office Box 1919. Aiken, you have the address. Send me a postcard and let me know. That's, um, P.O. Box. 1919. Aiken, A-I-K-E-N. South Carolina. 29802. There's about 75 or 80 people out there who don't have their books. Okay. And I can't find because of when they turned all the files over and everything that happened. Someone came into my house while I was in the hospital and they turned every file over and my, uh, uh my disc, they cracked them. So I have no record of about, I know there's 75 people out there who don't have their books.
0: All right. Well, I would imagine they would be listening, the majority of them, this morning. So um, you'll get your postcards and you'll be able to finish that up.
1: And I'll be so happy I won't know what to do because it's driving me crazy, Art. You know, it just drives me crazy. I wanted to get them out and it's like closing. It's where I can close the door on that part of the saga. All right. Please send me a postcard, and thanks from the bottom of my heart, everybody. All
0: right, and you, indeed, the audience is going to hear about this latest saga, but we are now on the air in those intervening months uh, in many more places, and there are many people who have never heard of you, so we're going to try and do the Danion 101 early years as quick as we can, and I can help you with that. You were not such a nice guy when you were young, eh?
1: Oh, born a complete jerk. Raised in South Carolina. I'm 47 years old. I was born in 1950. I grew up in South Carolina. My whole early life had nothing to do with, uh, trying to understand the light or anything to do with spirituality. I was a fighter and a mostly a jerk jackass. And I thought intimidation was how you handled everything. And one time you told me you were a killer. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's that this country went through certain events that Because of what we now call the, the secret governments or the, the covert world that we lived in that came out of the 50s, that a lot of us, there's a lot of Daniel Brinkley's out there who, in what we thought defending this country, yes, sure. I mean, I grew up in, uh, in the 60s and the 70s and I was in the Marine Corps and then after that I worked all these projects. So I, I'm not, I'm the furthest thing
0: from a person who looks at spirituality from any perspective. Sure. Uh, you were an assassin. Dan, Daniel, uh, do you think, uh, before we move on, that there are still people doing Daniel Brinkley early kind of work for absolutely. our government? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Ongoing. Yeah, absolutely. It's under, I mean, there's a directive that's in, that, uh, I think George Bush, President Bush pushed through in the NSA that, uh, Created and legitimized, gave legitimacy to the fact that we have a covert army. Mm -hmm. Most people don't know how to look for that or to see it, but it was legalized in probably 85. I mean, it'll, it's there. And there's absolutely that they're there. And absolutely that this goes on. And in uh, virtually every major government that there is, no matter what the, uh,
0: uh, executive action is that's realistic that's the way the real world is absolutely and yes it's out there all right so that was you early on pretty rough guy uh just a you know (laughs) jerk you know all right you got out of the military Mm mm-hmm Said, I guess, uh, what kind, of, what kind of mental state were you in when you got out of the military? Was it like I've had enough? I'm not ever doing this again? Or no, well, I loved it. I mean, the military was just a short part of my life. It just was the basic
1: part of the training of what comes contracts where you come to a person and you have a certain compartmentalized job, and what they do is they tell you that this is what you do. They pay you this much money, and you don't know all the rest of the stuff. Some of the things were years before I knew what it was, but you just did your part. I mean, I've seen, because I'm 47 years old, and I was in that 20 years ago, almost 25 years ago, I can look now and see what it was I was doing, but then I didn't know, and that's the way they do it. Look at... uh Eugene Hassenfuss is a typical example. I mean, the guy that shot down in Nicaragua. Right. His his life, I have no problems with being able to identify with him what happens to him, what went on with him, and where he got left in the hole. They let him sort of swing slowly in the breeze. Oh, they sold him out. What are you talking about? Yeah. They. It's like, we're like handy wipes. You use once and throw away, and if you survive, you use you again. But I loved it, Art. I mean... My life was how fast that I could move and how quick and how I would think each thing through and what my particular job was, whether it was the setup or I did the uh, reconnaissance or I, I did some part in the chain by which to create the single action. And I, it, was, it was the jazz. They had me. I was addicted to adrenaline. Mm-hmm. And I was going through my life having a double life like a lot of us I'm not James Bond or anybody I'm just some jerk out there that grew up at this time and believed that power and Mike was represented in how tough you could be or how much you could destroy something and the whole mindset that we're taught if like in a military point of view or war and you're taught this, and you're you know you get so caught up in it you never realize how really wrong so much of it is, but that's where I was i I would have stayed there and probably been there today <clears throat> i mean i I had a company and a business, and I, I worked in this, and it gave me access to things and i this is the world I lived in, not any of this other stuff. I thought this stuff was all crap. Then one day I came home, I was doing my reconnaissance job looking at infrastructure in a country and looking at how if you blow the infrastructure, which is the first thing that you do, you destroy the transportation, electrical, water, and power, so you create civil unrest, which creates Uh, diversion and chaos so that whatever plan you intend to execute, it's executing within the framework of what appears to be as though those people, indigenous to the place, are causing the problem, and either you go in to help fix it or you use that as your cover. Well, that typical plan causes children to die and people to be shot and all kinds of stuff like that, but you never think about that. So I was coming back. For the first time in my life, I saw people Only two times in my, in my whole life have I applied what I do to people that time and what happened, uh, in this third experience that I just had. But I was looking at these people and realized that they were human beings and they were people that were farmers and they had, you know, the children, grandchildren watched out for the kids. Uh, he worked the cow or the horse and cut the, uh, blade, cut the uh, ruts to put the flowers, or the, I mean, to plant the corn, and the wife came behind him planting it, two kids, a grandparent, and this was supposed to be my enemy, and I was coming back thinking about it. I get home. I worked in a grocery business. There's no big deal about who Damian Brinkley is. I worked in a grocery business
0: with my family, and I had these two lives, and I was comfortable in it. So in other words, uh at times you plan the destruction of infrastructure which of course destroys people and that ultimately destroys governments.
1: Sure. <sighs> we do it all the time, big deal. I mean, I mean that's how I looked at it there. We do it all the time.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, we and during the and during the 60s, 50s, 60s and 70s because of the Cold War, I mean, there was a whole world of us created, and then given exist legitimacy around 75 or 76, then came Iran-Contra, but before that, the uh, NSA uh, directive was put into place so that it gave legitimacy to it. How do you think the Iran-Contra affair occurred? I
0: mean, so they were, they were actually operating with just a free hand. They still do. Yeah, they still do. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. All right, well, anyway, so that's That's the kind of guy you were. Then then one day
1: No, not one day. Three days after I got home and I when you come home from being gone, in the grocery business there is a the most frightening word that exists is called perishable. (laughs) So when that word is the most terrifying word in existence and I come home and my part in the family business has to do with produce and compressors and all that kind of stuff and it was going out. No one cares where I've been and what I've been doing. I had to have that compressor fixed. I had an absolutely wondrous wife who this lady had been calling on the phone that I bought an antique car. It was how I kept my mind comfortable. I would fix old a car and repair it and sell it, mm-hmm. one old car at a time. And I had bought a car from a lady that I had to tear down the garage, tear the garage open to get it and to take the car out. And I told her I would fix the door. And the guy I paid to fix the door didn't do it. And I come home, and I'm not saying that women are tough or bad or anything like that, but I can promise you they have a stair that can melt plaster off of a wall. <laughs> <laughs> no yes, question in my mind. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I walk in the house to that glare of this lady calling them because the door wasn't fixed. I had a compressor down, and I had to get my reports written and submitted. These are my days after I come back from this living the life. Yeah. She was so upset, so to just before dinner, so that I could at least take some of the heat off, I was going to call him so that she could hear me talking to him and ask him why it hadn't
0: been done and to get it done. Oh, I'd never heard all this before. Okay. Uh, so uh, So now I understand why you were on the phone.
1: You got it, brother. Okay. So I take my, because she's watching the news and fixing dinner, I take myself down the hall, and in the bedroom, I pick the phone up, and I call TM. And I mean, this is my life, and it had nothing to do with but being a guy who lived in both worlds, who watched it, and maybe that was part of why me. You know, you're always trying to figure out why me or in those kinds of situations. I pick the phone up, and I'm talking to Tommy, and everybody who knows me knows what happened then, I got hit in the neck by a bolt of lightning.
0: It, this was all during a lightning storm, a severe no, lightning storm. I no, guess. it
1: wasn't there yet. No? I only heard the uh I only heard the raindrops. When I heard the raindrops, I heard thunder way off in the distance and I told Tommy, I said Tommy, let's get off this phone. I'm not going to, you know, your mother always told you don't talk on the phone when it's thundering and lightning. That's right. And what happened was he made fun of that. He said, "Hey. He so what are you, big tough guy uh secret guy?" and you're afraid of uh thunder, <laughs> you know,
0: and I'm poking my chest out like a game rooster. And I, then- actually, let me tell you something. I know a little bit about thunderstorms, Daniel, and when the rain uh first begins, you are then under, directly under the area of electrical activity. Now, you may have heard a thunderclap in the distance, but believe me, once the rain began to fall, you were... Directly in the in the in 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 the part of the storm where you could get a strike. Great time to tell me, Art. Well, that's tr- that, that, that is true.
1: And listen, no crap, Sherlock. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. <laughs>
1: because at that moment when that lightning struck me, I never knew any of this. I didn't know it. Where did the bolt actually hit you? Do you know? It hit me on the right left side of my neck, just behind my ear. Just
0: behind your ear. Mm -hmm.
1: And it went in my ear and down my spine, welding the nails of the heels of the shoes to the floor, throwing me in the air and suspended
0: me in the air. And from that moment on, your shoes let me uh get this straight. Your shoes were welded to the floor, and then you were actually apparently then blown out of your shoes mm-hmm. so you did a so, lot of times, and what happened was that, so your shoes were sitting there welded to the floor, you were tossed up into the air, came down on the bed, and you were on fire, no doubt in my mind. All right, um, we'll leave it right there at the bottom of the hour. That's a good place to leave it. We'll pick it up at that point. My guest is Daniel Brinkley, and what comes next you're not going to want to miss. A number of times, every time I hear it, I hear a new detail that I somehow missed before or that you thought of.
1: Well, I I think Art, because we've done it, and we're so close. Yeah. And, And I'm so close to the Art Bell family. That my personal life and the things that I feel as I go through it, what I am is just as a person, I feel more comfortable with talking about it. I mean, most of the time, I tell a dramatic point as much as I can, but this is who I am. I'm like everybody else. There's no difference between me and anybody who's listening. I'm a person of the night. I love the Art Bell Show. I'm trying to find the answers to things being 47 years old. And I'm where everybody who's listening to you are, except that these things, there are certain things that happened to me that just gave me my perspective on it. I'm no different. And so I tell about what I'm going through as a person so
0: because it's just us. All right. Um, you were, uh, you're sh- here you are hit by lightning in the neck. Here's where my saga began, Art. The real story
1: about me and what I believe is the point that brings a certain awareness to people is I never heard of the near-death experience. I knew nothing about the kinds of things that are talked about on your show. Mm -hmm. Nothing about it. And how I learned about it was when that bolt of lightning came down the phone line and hit me in the neck. If my shoes had not been, and I had nails in the bottoms of my shoes, wegens, bass wegens with the nails, the heels nailed on, not Mm -hmm. glued. Right. And they were over the flooring. There was a carpet, and then there was flooring that had, that was nailed down. My shoes were sitting over those nails. When that lightning went down my spine and through my body and came out the bottoms of my feet, it welded those nails to that floor. And that's what grounded me out and kept me from exploding. They figure about 180,000 volts. Oh, boy. All of a sudden, I'm blown like lightning, like someone stabs me in the back like an ice pick. It throws me in the air. It it suspends me in the air, and it slams me back down on the bed. It didn't drop me. It slammed me, and it bent the bed frame, and I'm on fire, and I'm burning, and it's like battery acid, and I have no consciousness except this pain, and all of a sudden, I'm in a blue-gray place, and this begins a tradition. Everybody who's heard it before and who hasn't heard it, this is a tradition now. Um, all of a sudden, I'm in this blue-gray place, and I'm comfortable, and I'm not burning, and I'm safe. And I I all of a sudden become aware that I'm rolling over, and I see myself lying across this bed. And I had what we call now call a near-death experience. And I was safe, and I was comfortable, and I was at peace. Like 15 million other people who's had one and been resuscitated. Yes. And I watched what went on. I watched my wife come down the hall and work on me. I watched Tommy come over, and him help her. And I noticed the uh, these are common characteristics to me now since I've been through three of these in 22 years. Somebody picked up the phone, called 911 or the equivalent of. Yes. Sir that was Tommy he sent to Andy to go next door to call
0: the people to call the paramedics and ambulances on the way they're probably rolling you to put out the fire
1: well what happened was it, i didn't catch on fire it was as though i was drinking battery acid i was burning from the inside out mm-hmm. and when that is occurring in the early part of it and in the early stages I, I didn't know what to think about it. I didn't know what had happened to me. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. You know, I was dead for 28 minutes. I was completely paralyzed for six days and partially paralyzed for 17. Dead,
0: dead for 28 minutes now. 17 and 11. That means no heartbeat, no brain waves. Nothing. No breathing. None of that. None gone. Of gone. That. gone. Flat gone. When I finally met you in person, uh, how long ago was that when we first met, um when you came to the house? That was, how long ago? <laughs> Probably six or eight
1: months. Maybe even longer. A year. Yeah, maybe a year. Uh There's no hair on your body. Well, I have little to no hair because when that lightning got me,
0: it burnt most of that away. It burned it away. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing that it... it must does, have killed the roots, I guess, huh? Well, it killed a lot of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it did its share of killing. Um. So, without going drastically into your um, near-death experience, what you actually experienced, because we will get to that. Uh then in, um, you ended up with a heart valve. Oh, damn, Mark! You're really moving along. Right, well, I'm I'm, I'm I'm moving along because <laughs> I, I, I want I want everybody to understand why uh, when we get to the the current event, the event that just occurred they they need to understand what you were facing so uh, as a result of this lightning uh, something happened to your heart uh, what 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 physically occurred that caused you to have to get a heart valve
1: well uh from being struck by lightning twice in 1975 and then 1978 uh it did damage to my heart you know lightning goes through your system and it damages a lot of stuff and it damaged my heart and my, uh, system, you know, my, uh, my, um, every part of me got damaged, but it centered on my heart and my vascular system and my nerves. And so what happened was I had a first near death experience. And in the course of that near death experience, I came through a tunnel, came into a place of light. I experienced beings of light I uh, watched my life pass before me, which is the single most important point of the whole near-death experience. I watched me not only see everything I'd ever done, I literally watched it from a second person, and then I became every person and felt the direct results of my interaction between me and those persons, which I believe is the most significant and most uh important part for people to look at from the
0: near-death experience. In other words, you are going to live your life as you affected others you're going to feel what they felt no doubt about
1: it and how do i know this i've had three of these things i'm the veteran of three near-death experiences and the last one was just three months ago and this is the first show i'm doing since i got up because i wanted to tell art bell's people hey guys you don't die now there's some really hard parts in it but the key is how to avoid those and how to get the most out of the knowledge that comes back from the near-death experience. And that's why I wanted to come on tonight, and that's why I want to tell people that the conclusions that we'll do later on in the show and the stuff that we'll talk about, guys, where I got it from, was given my life from being struck
0: by lightning and paralyzed and learning to walk and feed myself. Second, how, how long, Daniel, after the first uh, strike, were you in rehab? Ah, two years two years. Yeah, I had to learn to walk and feed myself and think
1: again. All I had was this vision. All I had was these things that had happened to me when I was supposed to be dead that no one ever told me about that I lived with for almost 10 months with no one to talk to about it. And I met Raymond Moody and all of a sudden I was suspicious of him, but he began to give me a confidence that about the near death experience because he had uh, he'd interviewed a couple of hundred people then and mm-hmm. I was just another case study, and we became friends, and I got to explore the near-death experience from every aspect, but I went uh, I went eight years from 1975 to 1989. I went 14 years before I had a second near-death experience, which is the heart valve that you're talking about.
0: Before we get to that, and I did jump ahead to that, Daniel, when you were gone, when you were dead, when you were out of your body, where were you? Well, in the
1: early parts of being out of my body, I was in the room. I traveled and watched the, my body. I watched them work on it. I watched the pyramids come. I, I knew all the conversation that had gone on, and I was particularly amazed by it. I was floating above it, or I was behind it or beside my body most of the time on the way to the hospital. And then <clears throat> I became aware of the fact when he said he's gone, I began to move through a tunnel. and. I believe that we are multidimensional beings, and I've learned so much about it. But in those early days, I didn't know where it was. Sure. But we live in this dimension. And at the time when our particular job and task is done, we enter a state or a transitional nature that we call death, where the body's gut shuts down and frees the spiritual and ethereal body. And then you return to where you came from. And you move on to go to be to cities and crystal cities and cities of lights or levels of consciousness where you go and uh, look back through the information, see your relatives. Can you remember, Danian, can
0: you remember during that period of time whether you had, as you and I now have it, you sound good and awake and conscious right now. You're conscious and thinking and aware of things that are around you and what's happening to you. All right. Were you in that state or a different state? Well, multiply
1: what you're describing right now by a 100 billion, and that's the state you're in. Uh, Kind of super consciousness. More more than super consciousness. You can merge with a thought. You don't have to think it. You can merge with it and re-experience it in any level, in any way you want to do it. Part of what this third near-death experience was and what happened, what we'll talk about is... How I was able, because people from this this show caring about me sent their prayers to me that gave me a a level of energy that while I was going through this near-death experience, I entered whole new different levels, whole new places I never knew existed and never thought that could exist. And although I went through a lot of pain and bored holes in my head and the stuff that we'll talk about, yeah. I learned... That the power of collective consciousness or prayer for true reason and purpose, we can change anything because the levels that I could go to, whereas I've never been to them before through two other near-death experiences, I've never been through them until I got to this one. So tonight it's about, hey guys, the near-death experience is the way to start stabilizing your life. It's a way that you don't have to die or be afraid to go find out what happens, how it works. And if you can start from being dead and move back to where you are right now, you can not only change your life in the course of your life, you can take control of that life and be able to be in a place to help other people who are not as confident or who didn't take the opportunity to go seek this information. I mean, I'm a guy and I'm no swami a guru or anything but i've been through three near-death experiences and each one of them has a uniqueness to it but it has a
0: commonality to it well daniel i've talked to a number of people interviewed a number of people in recent weeks who have talked to me about precognition uh telekinesis uh the various powers that appear to be in all of us uh, but only turned or in effect switched on in some very few of us. Some people believe you can develop these powers, uh, if you know how to do it. But in your case, uh, there are some naturals out there who appear to be born with psychic abilities. There's no question about what you can do. I've seen it demonstrated. I'm a believer. And I don't, but but I, was, I, don't, so I, don't I don't, I don't frequently make a statement like that. But apparently something happened to your brain. When you were hit by lightning
1: absolutely I so, never uh art I'm like you. remember, I'm like you i'm a very I study things and I'm trying to understand whether people have disability uh within them. I have no doubt because when I got struck by lightning, I never heard of it, never thought of it, and I had pretty good instincts about survival and things like that, but not mm-hmm. like what i what I have now and what I've gained and grown and learned about being being perceptive about things. Well, we're told we only use about 10% of our brain. Well, I don't even know how you measure that.
0: Well, they do. They do. They measure it. We use about 10% of our brain, and a lot of people theorize, Danian, that an event like you had uh, opens a pathway that was not open before. We are electrical beings. Absolutely. Electrical chemical.
1: I believe without any question that, that not only is possible and that we all possess this mechanisms to use because it's inherent in us. I, I didn't gain something supernatural. This opened up by either a overload of my, uh, my electrical chemical system, which did destroy sure. my heart. So that had to have happened. And the fact that I'm not afraid of dying because I've had a near death experience at that point gave me a certain a confidence that we continue on, which really allows people to open up. When you're not afraid of dying, Art, and all of us are terrified of it and we're taught to be controlled by this, mm. when you're not afraid of dying and you have a way to really look at it and observe it from, which what the near-death experience gives you if you don't have one, and then if you have one, two, or three, <laughs> you get... In, in life threatening situations, I didn't stump my toe. I got struck by lightning. Number one. Number two, I had emergency open heart surgery to take my heart out of my chest and put a, a
0: St. Jude's aortic valve. And number three. Okay, I, let, let, let's stop there for a second. Uh, you had open heart surgery to have a St. Jude's valve Put in. What had happened? One of your valves had failed? What, what No, because of the lightning, it had weakened it. It had weakened it. And then, uh, I became, what
1: happened after that, the weakness of the body, my, my immune system, uh, staph infection, and I got staph infection, and it settled on the weakest part of my, uh, cardiovascular system, which was my heart, and it Mm -hmm. ate the St. Jude's valve. It ate the aortic valve. So I was drowning in my own blood. I, I collapsed. I mean, I write about it in Saved by the Light and in Peace in the Light. I collapsed in the emergency room. And then the next thing was open-heart surgery. And that's how I had the second near-death experience and come to the conclusions that you don't die. And there is a certain very stable situation and lie, not... You know, like predestiny, but the, the, a part that we each have greater control of our lives than we've ever been given credit by any mechanism, religions, institutions, or governments. And I went through open heart surgery and I struggled with that for a year and then I had to learn to live with, uh, Coumadin, rat poison, and to change my oh, okay. whole slow,
0: life. Slow up, again. slow up. Coumadin rat poison, uh, Now, this had to do with the heart valve. In other words, once the heart valve was in you, your blood then had to be maintained at a certain anticoagulated rate. Thinness, right? Right. Thinness. They had to thin your blood. Well, they have
1: to put it to where it won't clot. See, your blood has clotting capabilities, and that's a lot to do with what heart disease is and heart problems and like where a lot of Americans are. I had to experience that so that I knew how to talk about love in the heart and the body. I get really philosophical now, Art, because after this third one, there are things that I can just forget and really put into my life a focus in a place of where I don't have to wonder about it I know after the third time, that's how it works. Now, how can I best put this information out so that people can use it and grow from it in their everyday lives and not have to
0: die two or three times like the fool I am keeps having it to? <laughs> when you returned the first time, you had psychic ability thrust upon you. Absolutely. And it was, uh, I recall you saying this, and again, it, it it reinforces what a lot of my guests have said. You said at the beginning, this psychic ability was so strong, such a burden. You heard, uh, you could hear voices. Uh, you could hear people thinking. You knew what was going on with everybody around you to the degree that you actually had to separate yourself from people. Is that correct? Well, absolutely. It drove me crazy. I mean, from
1: from a person that never believed any of it never even had a framework Mm -hmm. to put it in what was going on, all of a sudden, one day I didn't believe it, the next day I was dead, and the day after it, I became everything I never believed in. I not only had to relearn who I was and where I was, I had to learn about this kind of stuff and find a way to believe in it because it was happening to me, but with not all this this fakery, the stuff that exists out in the world that that people have a awareness that there is uh, spirituality and psychic ability, but it's shrouded in so much garbage. I had to learn all that stuff. So all of us are capable
0: of being able to do this. So it was like a cacophony of noise. I mean, overwhelming for you then.
1: Well, the, yeah, the first was people's emotions. The first thing you feel is the emotion. And from that emotion, I now, and I would see movies. Okay. Now I, it's like a movie. I will see a picture and then I just interpret what I see like, a, it's like a, like going to the movies and seeing a, uh, a, a preview of a movie. Those five or six things they show before the feature. I will see those. In those early days, I would literally be the person. I remember when they were, these nurses were pushing me down in this tub of a swirlpool when I was paralyzed to try to find a way to get my motor senses in there so I could feel this hot water and, uh, moving around me trying to find a way that I could move doing the therapy. And I could hear everything all the nurses at once were doing and thinking. And these are four ladies completely different and I could hear it. I could, hmm touch people when they would touch me and thank god that's reduced you know people say i'm happy that as i got better and reacclimated myself back into this structure of reality it reduced it didn't
0: you know it's gotten less instead of uh i couldn't have stood that it was anymore sure. sure so whatever it was that opened that pathway slowly as you healed it began to close up, and even though you still have uh, obvious uh, verifiable abilities today, they're not what they were then, not that overwhelming. Thank God. Thank well, uh, <laughs> you for thanking the right but, person. But, hey, there's a lot more to this story. <laughs> I know. Boy, is there ever. All right, hold tight, Daniel. We're at PR. the top of the- and this night I am telling you things that I don't tell you other nights about other guests very very rarely do I do this Daniel Brinkley is here and he's the real McCoy uh, that comes not from hearsay that comes from personal experience he's the real McCoy uh, Daniel was struck by lightning we've told that story and tried to move through it as quickly as we could And then again struck by lightning in 1978 and had a heart attack, uh, had a heart valve put in his heart. Uh, While he was gone, uh, many things were, and when I say gone, I mean gone, dead for 28 minutes. Heart, brainwave, breathing, all gone. And he was gone. He'll talk about uh, a bit about what he saw and more, and we'll bring you up to date with Daniel in a moment. Bell. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, You're standing. <laughs> Daniel, uh, so you had, you had a heart valve, uh, put in. Then you had to start taking this hard little stuff called Coumadin, which is basically rat poison.
1: Well, it does two things, Art. It keeps me alive. And it'll probably be what kills me. So you know, in the you know that's that's part of things that you really look at in your life. Here is the thing that keeps me alive, and yet because of
0: its its corpse as a drug in your system that you must take for the rest of your life. Once that heart valve's in, you take it or you die. That's it. I mean, there's
1: I lie in a bed with an IV in my arm and stay like that or push around one of those r- stroller things with an IV of heparin or sodium heparin or some other type
0: of uh, anticoagulant or thinner. You, you you have to do that fairly frequently anyway, don't you? Uh, you have of, one of those little things you wheel around with an IV on it.
1: Yeah. I go through so, that. So some
0: of the people close to me have told me some of the most bizarre stories about you and that IV. <laughs> You're so funny. <laughs> well, anyway, uh anyway, so that is uh basically your condition since nineteen seventy eight. Did they tell you the one about uh
1: about the one in the airport and uh, uh Delta Airlines in Chicago? No. <laughs> what what happens? I, I had to carry these uh I don't know how you got off on that art, but I had to use iVs and uh have to put in uh uh things like vancomycin that are antibiotics that are so powerful, and I would have to travel and because I kept pushing myself, which was what got me what I just got yeah. I kept pushing myself I would carry these bags these uh one liter bags of vancomycin, and I had to go in the because I had to put. An IV in and I had to take this by measurement. You're supposed to do it by a machine, but I'd use a stopwatch and work it off till I got the drip right. And then I would count the drips with the stopwatches and I would hang those bags everywhere. Well, I knew I needed to get it in. So I put an IV in both arms and hung the bags up in the bathroom. And we had to come to land. And the woman, the little uh, flight attendant was knocking on the door and I opened it with a IV in each arm with these bags <laughs> hanging off of the, oh my God. and she, I mean, the face was unbelievable. And she just closed the door and went and sat down, and I had to finish it, and I kicked them off, and, and then I went out and explained it to her, but that's face, and then she just quietly and
0: politely closed the door. <laughs> oh
3: <my God. laughs>
0: so, yeah. And I, I've heard stories of you tearing around the house, uh, very driven, trying to get things done with this thing trailing behind you. Oh, it used to be so aggravating. Yeah. I would pull it down the street, and I because you know I have to do my stuff,
1: it, I, when you have a near death experience aren't the first one. The first one is to this day the most amazing one to me because I brought back w- from it stuff that I that has now become the future, not only the the perceptive nature, which is where you think you see the future, I see mostly the present. Of where that person is or what caused that person or that particular event to occur are the two things I normally see because I focus on hospice work and I use and I try to train these techniques in the CIA in the foundation that I have called Compassion in Action, which you know everything about
0: the yes. hospice work. Uh, we will train people to be able to be perceptive. Basically, once you've died, you can explain to somebody what they are about. To go through. To go
1: through yeah. and share the joy about
0: what it's about. Having
1: three near death experiences under really horrendous conditions and a lot of physical and mental anguish and pain, I guess is the only way I've chosen to grow. I mean, you have to hit me that hard. But everything I know about the spiritual nature of us and that we don't die, just like you were there this last time, I pay dearly to know what I'm trying, what I tell people and I'm not trying to make myself any
0: more important than anybody but daniel do you remember um before just before we went actually i have one other question first do you have a website address uh no you don't i'm going to move
1: into the high-tech age after this last episode but you know art i have lived here for 22 years Looking at something that happened that started 22 years ago that went through two near-death experiences, it went through another surgery where nothing happened, it went through all the way to September 17th at 7.05 a.m., and the surgery was at 12 o'clock to the damn same day, the same minute, the same place. Now, you're talking about this last
0: September Mm -hmm. 17th. Yeah, or Wednesday in a thunderstorm. Um, oh, all right. We all we're gonna get way ahead of ourselves. Um, there's some really good stuff though, everybody. Yeah, I know it's some coming. Good I, stuff to I, tell them. I read you. I read you a little something before we went on the air tonight, Daniel. Mm-hmm. And you said that's from At Peace. At Peace in the Light. And I I want to read that. So just relax for a second, all right? Uh, and we'll find out if this is accurate. This was sent to me on the Internet. Uh, it's entitled, The Final Visions of Daniel Brinkley. At the very end came a 13th vision. I don't know where it came from. I didn't see a being of light bring it forward in a box, nor did I see one take it away. The vision was, in many ways, the most important of all because it summed up everything I had seen in the 12 boxes. Through telepathy, I could hear a being say, if you follow what you have been taught and keep living the same way you have lived the last 30 years, all of this will surely be upon you. If you change, you can avoid the coming war. Scenes from a horrible world war accompanied this message. Scenes from World War three came to life before me. I was in a hundred places at once, from deserts to forests, and saw a world filled with fighting and chaos. Somehow, it was clear that this was the final war, an Armageddon, if you will. It was caused by fear. In one of the most puzzling visions of all, I saw an army of women in black robes and veils marching through a European city. Quote, The fear these people are feeling is an unnecessary one, said the being of light, but it is a fear so great that humans will give up all freedoms in the name of safety. I also saw scenes that were not of war, including many visions of natural disasters in parts of the world that had once been fertile with wheat. I saw parched deserts with furrowed fields that farmers had given up on. In other parts of the world, torrential rainstorms had gouged out the earth, eating away topsoil and creating rivers of thick, dark mud. People were starving in this vision. They were begging for food on the streets, holding out bowls and cups and even their hands, in hopes that somebody or something would offer them a scrap to eat. In some of the pictures, people had given up or were too weak to beg and were curled on the ground waiting for the gift of death. I saw civil wars breaking out in Central and South America and the rise of socialist governments in all of these countries before the year 2000. As these wars intensified, millions of refugees streamed across the U.S. border looking for a new life in North America. Nothing we did could stop the immigrants. They were driven by fear of death and loss of confidence in God. I saw millions of people streaming north out of El Salvador and Nicaragua and more millions crossing the Rio Grande into Texas. There were so many of them that we had to line the border with troops and force them back across the river. The Mexican economy was broken by these refugees and collapsed under the strain. Is that
1: accurate, Daniel? And 21 years old, you're reading something, Art, and someone who's, who's just done this, I mean, they've written it better than I wrote it in the book, who's, whoever said this to you, but you are reading a statement that is, uh, Literally 22 years old. Mm. Oh, and I can, as you go through each. This burden was for me to grow. I had separated from my heart and my mind. It was for me to grow, and what I never anticipated, because I'm always trying to figure this stuff out, because it's happening to me. I never anticipated so many people to come to my aid, so much love to come to my aid.
0: I never could even think that. Let's talk about how this began, this latest thing. What happened, Daniel, and when? Hey, let's finish that art. That that, can we finish what you were reading for? Oh, uh, well, of course, that's the end of what I have here. But, yes, absolutely, go
3: right well, ahead. Well, it and... goes
1: on to give us each of those
0: statements, at what you're reading now, the, women,
1: uh, the women's army. This is something that's 22 years old. I understand. On the front cover of Time magazine about three months ago, it had a woman's army of Iranian women training in Iraq to attack Iran. Yep. And these women were dressed in black, Islamic, and they were going to go fight the Iranian government for the rights because of the what the uh,
0: Afghanistans are going through right now and what's happening to women there. I saw an army of women in black robes and veils marching through a European city. They were on the
1: cover. They were... Who they are was on the cover of Time magazine, and now they will walk toward the Balkans. This is what I, as I watch it, this next place that will happen is what's happening in the Balkans and what's happening there right now in uh, Sarajevo and all of that. That's gone nowhere. It's festering. It's a battle of religions. And as each discovers more and more about what's going
0: on in in these trials, Then there is be there's the next trouble spot. Oh, of course. The moment we leave, Danyan, they're going to be back at the uh, killing each other.
1: And those well, they've been doing it a thousand years, but now those ladies are are Muslim, and they will go fight for their sisters. And that's a European city. Twenty two years ago, when this vision came in the first near death experience, art, I didn't have any idea what most of this stuff was. But I could remember it because it would go over and over in my mind till if I it drive me crazy, so I started putting them down, sure. and I would write what I would see as the vision this is uh, while I was in the near death experience, and after it was over because I'd just lie there, I could float back to it and keep remembering. Well, I I make people a layout of where we go to about 2004, because that's all, as long as I figured I would be here, because I don't exist in it. Everything else, I have a way to not only see it, but discover how I fit into it or where I am in it. So you think you know when you're going to die? Oh, sure. I mean, they they give me pretty much, uh I mean, I pretty much go through a, a lot of stuff knowing what it's all about. And, you know, I, sometimes I push myself too far and other times because I want to achieve what I want to achieve based on knowing I don't die and knowing I've had my panoramic life reviews and that I am without any question, you do not die. It does not happen and anybody who tells you that it does is a liar. It just doesn't happen. And so, Then to get that in the minds of everybody in my age group and a little older than me and maybe a little younger, but I just talk to my age group because they're looking the same as I'm looking. And as I watched all this stuff happen, I have used it as a guideline. For something that I saw when I was dead, none of you, nothing you were reading is newer than twenty two years old mm-hmm. but it's come true all the way down to the chip when I said this in nineteen seventy five and seventy six and seventy seven and seventy eight like everybody around me i listen to my dad he's he makes faces at me because I'm like a broken record. he's been hearing it for you know so many years and this chip technology and how the brain would grow on a chip and the chip would be implanted and encode your information in it and they could control your moods and uh not they but the system put it in place
0: and it's all coming true yeah i have copies of the reports on it i mean i know but this 22 years ago i know and 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 so it was written by you then so nobody can contest that oh it couldn't you know there's no chance no that's what's.
1: Uh, you you know there's thousand people and more scraps of paper and the dates and what i you know i
0: pile that stuff in all those boxes daniel that was so severe what i read is there anything that has occurred between then and now that has caused you to change your mind about the ultimate prophecies
1: mm, yes okay <laughs> and i knew it would come i mean i When I went through this last experience, and I don't want to get there quite yet, but when I went through this last experience, I discovered something. I discovered something about myself, and I discovered something about the whole framework of what uh, I'm trying to do and what we're all trying to do, but also a way to achieve it faster. I mean, there's some really good stuff. And I'm still growing in it, Art. You know, I study it and think about it every day. You, because we talk so much and we're close friends. Well, I'm close friends with everybody who's listening. I'm just 47 years old and out here and growing in it. But when you know you don't die, you got to find something to do with your time. Sure. (laughs) And I think people who listen to Art Bell are doing that. You know, that's what I think. And so, when you hit this place where you're growing and it's because you're in immense pain and they're drilling holes in your head and, you know, having seizures, but the seizure had its place, too. I mean, it taught me, and what I learned from it and how to look at myself is the most important aspects of what it is about. But how I kept myself sane when I wanted it to go away through these 22 years, what the visions were, what I was told to do, the centers, um... Hospice work, all these things I said for those years, I have done them, and it's witnessed. You know, you know, you talk to the people, but this last time, I'm growing. Give me back a freedom that I didn't think I had, and they drill that hole on the exact same time and date. And what does that tell
0: me? I mean, what would it tell me if if it wasn't happening to me? All right. Well, in a sense, you're jumping ahead now. So <laughs> let us uh, um, let us tell them the beginning. Of what happened to you, in other words, uh, this most recent event don't don't go right to the seventeenth uh and the day of surgery because I was there then. when did it begin? what happened? Well, it began probably in nineteen eighty nine but uh well i i mean the uh, the the specific medical downturn that resulted in the surgery, what day did that begin? do you recall? Oh, I probably began in June. In June. Mm-hmm. How do you figure it began? Well, I could tell that something was
1: changing. Something was happening to me. And we still don't know what it is yet. And what causes the, uh, the, the levels to shift and change. And Coumadin reacts to everything that you take. And no matter what it is, from an aspirin to the food that you eat, it, it's, it's a good drug for
0: what it does. But it has, it's a very finicky. It comes with a price. Oh, absolutely. Big it, price. It kills you. All right, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> it kills you ultimately. Yeah, that's right. All right, hold on, Daniel. In South Carolina. I'm art. sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to put you in Georgia. I know. Um, Daniel, I want to get the chronology of this right. You think it began about in June, huh? Yeah. I could tell
1: that something was happening, but, you know, I regulated the. Cummidon is not evil, art. It's just that it is a peculiar, and the fact that I don't just sit down every day you know and stay in one place and and uh sure you know just just become worthless i I have to move and I have to take care of things like I, I think, so I'm partly responsible for what it does, but there are things that happen because of Coomden and whatever it is unique about me, which I'm learning is about being struck by lightning. Which they
0: have a new, um. You've got to test your blood, I think, uh, how, how frequently, uh, and, and check for the levels of Coumadin? Oh, every right? couple of days. Every couple of days, all right? Every couple of
1: days, because it's, it, it's gone up, uh, it, it's gone up back and forth, back and forth, and I've looked at everything in their study, and I have good doctors looking at it, but here I am. I'm in California, I had a lecture to do, and to talk about the CIA, which is Compassion and Action, the foundation. Right. I set up and with a lot of help from a lot of people and to, to lay it out because I know that where we're about to go in the future, what the next six or eight years are about based on that so far, the stuff that I saw in the vision has been true. So I'm going to accept the the fact that the rest of it is and how to affect and change that. All right. So you were in California. and. I felt uh, weak, really, really weak, like I was going to pass out. But after being, after heart attack and strokes, and uh, being struck by lightning, you know, just kind of overlook that kind of stuff. Like my cardiologist asked me, he said, "How in the world did you stand the pain when I think I had a stroke or something like that, and it was so painful?" I told him that when I fell and hit my head against the wall, it took my mind off of it. So I have go through that kind of stuff all the time, and so I, I was at the Veterans Hospital, which is where I want to establish programs for veterans because there's somebody I feel that I don't want anybody dying alone in this country. And, that you know, you the people who know me know that's my whole, that's what I care about. That's what I focus on. And I use every talent and every thought and everything I have to focus on that because I can grow the fastest from it Based on that, you have a panoramic life review, and what I've learned through three near-death experiences,
0: and you can grow the fastest. Sometimes I push it. You push it a lot. Hey, hey, I know you do. Hey, all right. Anyway, listen, (laughs) let's stick with the chronology here, right? So you. So I got on an airplane. Yeah. And I got
1: on that airplane to fly home, and I had two days at home, and I was making sure I was trying to get Art Bell books out, and. Keeping in my mind all the responsibilities that, you know, you try to piece together and I'm trying to create a a mind shift in people born between 1940 and 1964 as they face losing their moms and dads. That mind perspective, that paradigm shift is to search for your spirituality so that you can deal with something that is now in your life the loss of your mom and dad and brothers and sisters and sure. aunts and uncles, and how to take that and let it be a spiritual growth place, understanding the near-death experience. And I try to do that through CIA and practical application. Well, and I know you do. It. Stick with the story. All right, don't hurt me. <laughs> Stick with the story. <laughs> don't, don't hurt me. And so I fly home, and I had a cerebral subdural hematoma. That means a blood vessel blew in my brain. And then when that blood vessel blew in my brain, I thought somebody had driven an ice pick into my head.
0: Where were you when that happened?
1: I was at 35,000 feet.
0: Oh, God. No, I I didn't know that occurred in the airplane.
1: 35,000 feet, and I thought, Art, if I could get off that airplane, the pain at 35 in a pressurized cabin, you cannot. I did not know that there was pain like that that could exist on the face of this earth and i've been through a lot of pain art you know i know about pain nothing is like it and you can't see and your head hurts so bad you want to shoot yourself did you remain conscious well i think i did (laughs) you know i just held on and i didn't know what it was and i got down and it released a little bit when i landed in atlanta and i the, I didn't want to get on that plane to save my life to fly to Augusta, but I had to do it because if I didn't do something about whatever this was, I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it, so I get home, and I can stand up. By the time I get to my house, I could stand up, you know, four minutes, and then i just drop and black out, and the pain would be so severe and so I was trying to figure out either I, I knew something. I either had an aneurysm or a hematoma or a tumor has just locked in. And I knew it was one of those three things. And then I knew it was something I'd blown blood vessel. So I go to the, uh, I call the doctor and he
0: says, go get your PTs. And I go up and get my PTs. No, no, P- wait a minute. PTs, everybody doesn't know what you're talking about. Your PTs, are, are that's the count you do, right? Yeah, the PT is a blood test. Right. And it determines how fast per second your blood,
1: your blood will clot. And then it has a, called the IRN, which I don't really know what it stands for, but it's the, the line measure that you use based on the content of, uh, the blood. All right. It, so you got that test. You went and got the test. And it was, when I got home, I couldn't stand up and I was talking to my dad and cause I was supposed to go to San Francisco for another program and, um, I was talking to my dad and I couldn't stand up when I got back and I, I couldn't focus and I began to have chest pains and my head was hurting. And when they, the doctor called me straight back and he said, you're as good as dead.
0: Yeah, I know. I, said, I, t- I talked to the doctor actually. Uh, I was involved for several days. I mean, they admitted you to the hospital, uh, with a diagnosis of, uh, an aneurysm at that point, didn't they? All right. They said it was, in other words, you had burst a blood vessel in your brain. You were bleeding. Uh, there was uh, pressure building. Uh, I recall talking to your doctor. In other words, the blood, you were just bleeding in the brain, and they, the blood was uh, beginning to uh, put pressure on your brain.
1: Well, on my way to the hospital, I blew a second one, remember? Yeah. Remember, I'd blown that first one coming in from San Francisco, and I couldn't take it. And then on the way to Charlton, I put myself in those trances that I've learned to find with that much pain. And I blew another one when I got to the, by the time I got to the hospital. So I had blood filling up the whole right side of my head and just crushing my brain. And no one, and no, there is no pain like the brain. I never realized that it floats in that liquid and in between each layer nice. of it, there is a liquid and it stays stabilized and it's equilibrium. And I'm just never, cause my head's so hard in a lot of psychological and a lot of physiological ways yeah. that I never thought about it. But I was in so much pain when they got into the emergency room, I had a prothiamine count of like 45, which is, you know, it's, it's, there is no coagulation and it's so thin. It's like, it's, it's like water. Yeah. It's, like water. it's doing. It's not creating enough pressure to pump through it. And since I have had had an open heart surgery, the biggest problem that they were worried about is when you have this, your brain brain clots, and when your brain clots, those clots move through the bloodstream, and if they get into my valve, it kills me right off the bat. I'm dead. So how many clots are forming in my brain from these
0: these uh these hematomas? And how much pressure and then the real rock in the heart place in other words here you are bleeding to death in your own brain and they're having to clot it. they're having to stop that bleeding and the very stopping of the bleeding is causing clots and according the, to your and doctor and the fact that the way you stop bleeding is clotting
1: the blood which is what you can't do to mine because I have a, a, a mechanical heart valve right so I'm in the emergency room and they're having a really you know it, the, the, what do you do do you crack a skull open and, you know, these are the choices, crack his skull open and peel it back at the same time, crack his chest open and to massage his heart or to block clots or put a laser in to block the clots. Actually, make- your doctor at that
0: point was telling me that uh he was going to open your chest mm-hmm. and open it to your heart and then open your head, drain your head, watch for the clots to pass. And when they did and they stopped your heart, he would have your heart there immediately available to uh, try and move these clots through it manually. Yep. That was what you were facing.
3: Yeah, that's, you
0: know, and what would happen if we did that?
1: I would die. I mean, you're not going to crack a guy's chest open and massage his heart and cut his skull away and drain off uh, yeah. blood, putting the pressure on it, and then try to cauterize those yeah. other things. And who knows what that was because at 45, and I was in deep trouble. I mean, you know that they was they didn't know what to do. You couldn't yeah, so do. I was I calling that.
3: you.
0: I remember I was calling you like every day and um, trying to talk to you when you were conscious. And I kept asking, "Do you want me to come?" And you kept saying, "No, no." A, a few, few days, me. no. And then you said, "Well, maybe."
1: I knew where I was, Art. I mean, I was lying there in some more pain than I thought that was possible. They're telling me that my brain is blowing blood vessels. Not that it had it's blowing them. Yeah. Because I blew those two and my brain was just pouring blood. They couldn't they couldn't stop the bleeding because it would cause coagulation, which would cause clotting, which would kill me in my in my heart. And they were dumping heparin in me and all kinds of thinners in me and that was holding
0: me on. But the pain of the brain and what was going on, I couldn't handle it. Well, I'll tell you now. Uh because I can tell you now, and I really haven't I was talking to people of course all around you. I won't name them. You know who they are. And uh those people told me that you weren't gonna make it, Daniel. That, I don't think that, it was, Art. That that was a critical day. You know you know the people I'm talking about. And my yeah, dad you know, I mean, all my relatives, my brothers, my sisters, my closest friends. You know, I, I really wasn't going to... Well, I don't mind telling them. They were, we were all there. I was talking to all those people, including the doctor and the nurses, and uh, everybody was of the same opinion. Uh, your chances were pretty near zero, and uh, that was the day you called me and said... Well, Art, you better come on over. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. You know, Art, don't be sad about it. I said, Well, Art, you and Ramona better come on
1: over because, you know, this. I don't think I'm going to make it through this one. Yeah, time to go. I thought I was uh, happy about it because I couldn't stand it another day. I had to have the surgery, which would all of a sudden start this chain of action of events. And if something went wrong during the surgery, having to crack my chest open, so I called my dad, and I got my closest friends the people that have been with me and helped me for years and struggle with me as I've gone through these near-death experiences, and I've tried to do what I believe was right in the course of what I saw, and here I was again, being the people I'm trying most to help. I was on a ward of cardio-neuro-problems. Yeah. And this is where you either in emergency and intensive care, which I spent about 16 days in there, and then in this place where people were so the, the despair was so enormous, and I didn't have despair, I just dealt with the pain. And as you were there, you know, I, I it was more pain than I could yeah. handle, but I I can handle it because I'm not afraid of dying. We don't die. And I knew we didn't. And I was thinking in my mind, here I go again. But this
0: time the odds are stacked too much for me to survive it. So you and I talked about opening up your chest. Yeah, and we it very quickly we weren't going to do it. <laughs> I said, Daniel, I don't think you're going to make it through that. Yeah, too much trauma. I, I, I mean, the risk is obviously the clots let go and they can't get to your heart in time and you're gone. And it's a tough choice to make, but I advised you, you thought the same thing. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't let him open your chest. I would be dead now. So the critical moment came. The doctor said, all right, we'll try it. We're going to drill some holes in his head. We're going to relieve the pressure. We're, We're going to, to try, try to relieve the pressure and hope the clots don't let go. Yeah, we'll put shunts in there. Remember, when they put those shunts in there so it would drain. Yeah, we've got but pictures. That's what I said on the website. People want to go up there right now. Just uh, It's the first item, Daniel's photographs in the gallery. Click on that and scroll down, and then click on the photographs, and you'll see uh, actually the bags with the blood that was coming from these shunts that were put in his head. And nobody. These are true stories, everybody. Oh, yeah. <laughs> these true, these right. three stories
1: that we're telling I write about in Save by the Light and the Peace in the Light and what I'm trying to do with the CIA and what I care about the people on Art Bell, these are true stories. Happens to a guy, not from India, happens to a guy from South Carolina who you're talking to this morning. That What we're talking about is who we all are, Art. What's happening to me doesn't make me unique. Somehow... I'm stupid enough to put myself in a place where I have to learn it the hard way, and second, I have ability to remember what happened to
0: me. When I remember telling you and talking to you uh, the night we said virtually said goodbye, it was the night before the operation. I I remember telling you, Danny, you know, cosmically we're all here for just a little blink anyway. And yeah. if I'm here for another twenty or thirty years and you go tomorrow morning, we're gonna be seeing each other real quick anyhow. Absolutely art. And in a and
1: you know that's I think that's what I'm really what we're talking about to everybody tonight. Hey everybody it doesn't happen. And here comes the holidays and here comes your New Year's resolutions and here comes thinking back through your life as you do the Yule tide and O lang Syne. Well O lang Syne this. Let this radio show and let this part that we're doing now be a part where your New Year's resolution is to explore the fact that you do not die and stabilize the fact that you are a mighty and powerful spiritual being and that you have the ability to move in multi-levels of consciousness over on the other side, but also discovered that you live and function in multi-consciousnesses right now. And resolve yourself that that be your New Year's resolution. And then I'll give the number to the CIA and call them to give you some information and start really working on the use of what Art and I are talking
0: about. That's what I wish for everybody in this and the new year. And thanks for letting me get that. Started, I remember that you were in so much pain that you told me one of two things has to happen now. Either I have to die. Or this pressure has to be relieved. Uh, yeah, there, there was no crazy. middle. There was no middle ground.
1: I was making the decision on the surgery. You and I, I was glad that you were there, my dad, because I'd given him all the powers of attorney and everything. I mean, you know, this was a real. Oh, well, yeah, all the final papers were getting made out. Sure. Yeah, I had to do it all. And what to do with my life and my little stuff I have and what I'd hope for from, you know, the centers and fulfilling my visions and my work and all that stuff. You were there. It's like, you know, it was really happening. It's not a, it's not a dime novel. And no. it, it was good to have you there because you drew from the experience of everybody you have and you drew from a good friend, Art Bell, just like Ramona. Ramona and being
0: there helped me a lot. All I could think of and uh, all i could think of was to have people pray for you and danian you know you and i we may we may be a little different because i haven't been where you've been i haven't died i haven't seen all of this and i i must tell you danian i have this this hard-headed idiotic thing that things that i haven't experienced i haven't touched i can't prove i can't know for a 100% uh, 100%, with 100% surety. I don't know these things that you know, but I think I believe, no, I know I believe, that there is power in prayer. There is actually power in prayer. Scientists are now proving it.
1: They're There's doing no, studies. Absolutely no doubt. What I discovered, more than, I mean, anything that came from the near death experience, yes, as we sat there that night, Art, and we talked it through as friends because we've become good friends. And You saw what I was going through. I could not handle it. I could not take it anymore. It was too much. And I had to face that surgery and face my heart and face those levels and what any of them, 15 factors could kill me. And it could get worse. And then the next morning, you know, when we, we hugged and I had my family and my people I care about and have helped me around me, and... You know, I usually stay by myself
0: when I'm that sick. I don't let people come around me. Oh, that is for sure. Uh, in okay. fact, we'll tell them more about it. Uh, Daniel, hold on for a second. Uh, we're coming toward the top of the hour. Rest a little bit. This is something that I played during those times because I didn't think Danyan was going to make it. I really didn't. But there was prayer. There was hope that things would get better.
4: It's been a too long
0: time With no peace of mind And I'm ready for the time To
3: get better
0: This is Crystal Gale and it seemed appropriate. <laughs>
1: I've been racking my brain
5: Hoping to find a way out
4: I've had enough of this continual rain Changes are coming, no doubt It's been all too long
0: Strange year this year and what we're talking about now uh, is one of the <laughs> highlights low lights of the year however you want to look at it uh, Daniel knows a great deal more that has occurred to me during this year uh at any rate uh there he was in intensive care unconscious not conscious and um i un- and then uh, you began to go through convulsions and there's a big story to be told here, Daniel, uh that you haven't even really told me about the time uh, this time when you were in the netherworld again.
1: And I'm still I'm still processing it too, Art. Remember that? This is we're only talking about September the 17th.
0: Yeah, that, then... that was an interesting date, the date of the operation when the doctors finally decided they were going to do their thing, September 17th. What is the uh Interesting aspect of that date. (laughs) September the 17th, on a Wednesday afternoon, at 7.05
1: p.m., I was struck by lightning. On September the 17th, on Wednesday afternoon, 22 years later, I had brain surgery, and at the exact spot on the left-hand side of my head, where the lightning went in and went through my body, They drilled a hole in my skull and hooked a drain to it. And in my front temple, they drilled another hole. I don't honestly understand all of what it means, Art. I had everybody do charts and stuff, and it's some pretty remarkable stuff. I mean, you know, you got a copy of that transparent of that uh, astrological that reversed it. I think that what it really means to me is that... There was a real orderly fashion in the completion of a period or an era, and that that symbolized it that and the on the right hand side it was released because i it made me change if it, uh, if it's true, what shall we do, the book that I'm writing, it changed everything about it, like literally threw the book out of the window and put a whole new place in because just before I went into this surgery for those early days. When we first started talking and people started praying for me, at night, during these shows, during these shows, at night, the pressure would release. It wouldn't be as intense. And I was noticing it. I didn't know everybody was praying for me, Art. I was lying in that bed where you knew I was and had been there for 25 days. And 16 days in intensive care and then and then and then enough needles and hadn't slept and the pain was so horrendous in my brain and I couldn't see and, and I would listen to, uh, Stephen Halpern music for 10 hours a day and I would wear those earplugs and stay inside and fight it because I was drifting in levels of
0: consciousness. You're the only person I know who can heal. Well, you really are the only person I know who can heal himself, and he does that for hours and hours and hours on end. He has somehow... Can you explain it? You go inside yourself.
1: You leave you've myself. Got,
0: you've got hemorrhaging in your brain, and you leave yourself, and how... Is is there a way you can put to words the process you do to go to work on yourself? Well, I'm
1: working on, see, I've never ever thought about teaching in art until now. I mean, so I always just, I move inward. I taste my breath and I shut off so that I'm only hearing my breath moving and, in and out of my body, like my body's a hollow vessel. When you listen to your breath with your fingers in your ears or you put a way that you can listen to breathing like shielding, I use eye pillows and things. When you start to breathe in and out in the hollowness, like breathing all the way to your toes and breathing all the way out, you hear the hollowness of the body in the breath. At least it sounds like that. And then I begin a system where I set a value. I can't deal with the pain and thing. I I learned it in the first near-death experience because uh being electrocuted is more painful. I thought it was the most painful thing I'd ever experienced until this last one. Mm. So I'll they call it line and state and stuff like that. And I take music therapy, aromatherapy and color therapy. And I activate my spiritual senses, the auric senses that we have. And I never knew anybody had one of these until I was floating above myself watching Tommy and Sandy twenty two years before work on me and they had these beautiful, colorful, uh, rays around them. They were, had energy bodies. And I was always wondering why I didn't have one as they were working on
0: me, but that's the me that's here now. That's the part, that's the spiritual part. Is there, though, a way you can, in other words, you had a specific terrible thing that was occurring to you. You were bleeding in your brain. Do you actually visualize What's occurring in your brain and go to work on that mentally?
1: Yeah, once I'm out of the body. See, once I get out of the body, then... It can heal itself because I'm not in there thinking so much. I don't have that, that mind-brain system working to, like, you know, stress is caused by how you think and yep. what you're eating. And once you move outside of the body, it begins an automatic system of drawing from the spiritual realm,
0: from the nutrition in your body, and from the thoughts. And what I do is focus on the whole self. Because I know there were long periods of time that you wouldn't let anybody near, and you just did that. You were just inside yourself. The nurses said it, your family said it, the doctors said it. Ten hours a day. Ten hours a day, yeah. And then six hours worth of earplugs.
1: And that's how I went for 28 days. We, our spiritual beings, are. And there are ways at which to move totally outside of it that are not marvels or miracles to me. It's preservation that caused me to develop the intuitive natures, the natures to move outside of the body, the natures to perceive and feel where other people are. These things are possible for everybody to learn how to do it, and I wouldn't say it if that wasn't true. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Trust me on it. And they don't have to die to do it. They just have to follow the system, and it's the value. The real reason, and I learned this from the Panoramic Life Review and the Near-Death Experience, the real reason is the why you do what you do, not what you do, but why you do it. That begins a measure of you and your focal point in in this world, and having to clear, being
0: able to clarify those, allows you to open up and access those other levels. What can you tell us of the spiritual time that did occur? during this last experience. Well,
1: way to watch in this surgery. I was experiencing these levels and I was writing them down. When I got out of through all of this, I could match when your prayer groups and the Unity Church and the people's organizations all over the world that were praying to keep me alive. And I never realized that I had worked so hard for so many years, Art, to bring these visions and this work that I write about and saved in it, peace, to fruition. And I'd worked so hard and I had lost where my mind connected to my heart. And I began to think too much about how I had to get it done because we are now in that time that they talk about. A whole new
0: revolution of thought will come this year. I mean, it will come. Something's pending.
1: Yeah, well you and I are a part of trying to help bring it out in the cruise with visions. There lies a secret and a, a part of so much connected with everything from China to A to uh to the Yucatan to Egypt to to the mounds in America, everything about the pyramids and uh, you know, that's important. This will happen this year. These things we will begin to change no matter what, with what we will learn in the next year and a half about ourselves, about where we came from, what our true origins are, but it doesn't change our spiritual self and how to stabilize that. And this is coming. And so when I had this, when he put me under, when they took me in the room Mm -hmm. and I was talking to Mike, my surgeon, who's a really, is a friend. And, you know, you were there and he put me in and everybody was worried about it. The cardiologists were there. You know, everybody was worried about it because how do you come through it if something happens and you break my skull open and you split yep. my chest open? And yep. I told them not to do it, but, you know, they weren't going to listen to that too much. And then they drilled these holes in my They put me this anesthesia, and they drill these holes in my head. And at the moment when they roll my head over, I'm out of my body. I'm there. I'm watching it again. I'm listening to them talk and they were really good and really efficient and I was watching this guy who was helping, uh, Mike do the surgery, how efficient he was at moving my head and rolling my shoulder and how organized they were and how really well they were doing it and the two other assistants. And I'm watching it. But I'm in a, in a level of consciousness that I am not like, like I'm far away, like the first two. I'm here, and I'm not traveling far, Mm -hmm. okay? Then as he drills this second hole, I began to move into places where I moved through the tunnel, but I became the light when the tunnel came to the end. Instead of going through a light, it was like I was lighting it up. I was comfortable with the place, but it it had a warmness and a gentleness to it, but it wasn't like I was going to be there. It wasn't like the first two times when, uh, you know, I was going to be there. And I didn't move deep into it. It wasn't a deep experience. I saw the beings in the distance. And then I'm in. I'm back. And I'm in
0: the uh recovery re- room. Yeah, I remember, Dan, in some things. I remember when you were not really conscious and I was next to your bed with some others, uh one or two others, I think with Ramona and one other person, and you were talking about masters and you were talking about people in white robes. Uh, yeah. They were all they were everywhere.
1: They didn't come back again, see, I think there there they were, like whole legions. And I'm watching it and it was as though they were had a There was a certain amount of accomplishment or a certain amount of pride, and there was a certain distance traveled, you know. And as I'm i glimpsing a panorama of the things that some of them I recognized, but a lot of them I didn't, that had occurred. And it was as though it was a brief moment of a celebration kind of, you know, I'd hate to say. I don't know how to describe it yet, Art. I don't know how to describe it because I didn't never I don't remember seeing you on any level. I'm sure you don't. Oh, you weren't conscious. Okay, well that no, that doesn't mean I wasn't conscious. <laughs> Listen, in near-death experiences, you are conscious.
0: Not, not in the sense... Yeah, I understand. No, not... not but uh, believe me... Uh, yeah, look, was, look, folks, uh, trust me. Go up to my website and look at those photographs. Um, during that period of time, he was not conscious, period. But you were... Describing what I was seeing. You you were. You were... Um. Uh, that's
1: great. See, I didn't know that art. Thanks. I mean, these things... Because I'm aware of what was happening with me, not what people were seeing. And that was going on the whole time. And it wasn't like a normal near death experience. It was a, like a gathering of some kind. Yeah. And like it was, we had assembled and we had taken a look at the distance traveled and where we stood and, you know, what had to get done and what would be the next part. And I'm trying to write that down. I mean, I'll bring that out. I'll, I'll be able to tell it in a couple of, you have to find words to piece that together because it's taken me years to find the language. But, and I know a lot of what it is. Does that make sense?
0: It does. I, I think you'll break it down when you get to how yeah, you actually I can, write, write about it. It's, it's two months ago. Yep. It's not a million years ago. It's two months ago.
1: But here's what was the neatest thing. When I came back into uh, recovery and after recovery, and I, I looked at all this, you know, I was thinking about, okay, is this hallucination? And I, I'm like everybody else. I'm like you are, not regardless, there are things that happen in the brain and chemistry and things that happen, but I've been through so much, I, I know how to set a standard so I can watch it. As I'm watching this, I know it's not a hallucination. And as I come back and I recover and I'm in the room, I could see a blue and silver light in the room. And then it would turn golden. And it wasn't some, some great dark color, but I could see it in the room. And I would think about it and look at it from different perspectives because the pain would reduce. And as I would, as I would relax and bathe in it each night, as I would bathe in it, I would become aware that there was more than one of me, multidimensional, that there is more than one of me functioning on different levels of consciousness as actively as I'm functioning here. And I kept trying to figure out how could this happen? The people's prayers are, while I was recovering and going through near-death experiences and always, you know having a near death experience and then going through what you saw me going through, you get yourself in a world of you know it 's not a very it's a wondrous place, but it gets complicated when you're trying to understand your spiritual emotional self and the what you see with these massive beings of masters and great teachers and where a host had gathered, and I was there gathering too it was though from the 22nd, I mean, from September the 17th at 7.05 p.m. and struck by the lightning to September the 17th and, uh, 1977, uh, having brain surgery exactly where that lightning in, it had entered my head or just on the opposite side. I had come to the gathering. I had come to where we were looking at it and I don't feel like I'm anything special in it, but I know that's what it was. And this, the time now is set. And as we look at the 30 years and the things that we were talking about
0: earlier in the prediction, they're setting themselves rapidly. All right. Here's, here, yeah, they're setting themselves rapidly. Your predictions were very dire. I read them earlier. Some of them were pretty good now, aren't they? Um, not only have they come true, the majority of them have come true. We're in the end stages, Daniel. Look, um, you know the book I wrote. Uh, oh, yeah, the quickening. Yeah. Terrific. It, All right. it covers what I'm describing. All right. Uh There's a lot of news going on right now. We've got um I could run, I could tick it off. You know, we've got right now in Hong Kong a species jump of a new deadly flu from birds to human beings and now transmissible apparently from humans to humans. We've got uh, they had a big argument about frogs. Oh, wow, I'll probably were, uh, get that for sure. Yeah, we had, <laughs> we had, we had, we had frogs, Danian, with uh, legs more than they had to have, uh, eyes in their throats, horrible things, deformities. People said, oh, it's not UV radiation. Well, wrong. Yes, it is. New oh, studies yeah, show yeah. it is. Uh, we've got dolphins now coming down with deadly cancers. We've got simple cell organisms in the Antarctic beginning to show actual DNA change, which is really scary. Uh, we've got the breakup of ice caps uh, down there, ice flows that are um, uh, in entire ice flows that are breaking off. We have a lot of environmental things going on. We are moving toward an event. We are moving toward oh, something. Is exciting? Uh, I, I, it, I don't know, Daniel. Oh, Art, right, it's exciting. I wouldn't have why
1: I fought to come back, why I just fought to come back. When you go, when you live 22 years and no matter what it is, and you believe in something and I believed in this. And a lot of times the only thing that I had to hang on was that stuff kept coming true. It would keep coming true. And remember I went four years before the first thing that I saw in that first ninth division ever come true. I went four years. They'd almost had gone away. You know, i I said, well, it was just something that happened. In four years, it started it started coming true. Well, these things are going to occur. The earth changes. We are affecting it somewhat, but she's growing the same way that we're growing. What we have to look in in our place is we chose to be here. I know this, Art. We choose to come here, and we're chosen to come here. And we come per breath. We breathe in and we breathe out. And there's so many techniques I've learned about breathing because I have observed what you are and who you are when you're not doing that. And being a hospice volunteer for 19 years, I've been around people dealing with the nature of the last breath. And, you know, it's part of the training in the CIA and it's written about in both the books. And I'll carry it even further in this next book because I learned about myself. We are capable in our collective consciousness that this is the most important thing I learned. And we call it prayer, contemplation, meditation, concentration, and prayer. Prayer adds a a divine spark to it. But we are are capable of collectively thinking for the love of someone or what they brought into our lives and changing it. You believe we can stop it? I believe so now because we kept me alive. The love of those people out there who prayed,
0: who put their power, who put their times as they stand where they're working or... They can do, if they apply that. They did it, Art. All right, Daniel, hold on. We're going to break here. Bottom of the hour. Daniel Brinkley is my guest. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. <laughs> Uh, sort of an interesting side note, and I want to ask Danian about it. A few days ago on the program, Danian, I had somebody who called who said that he did progressive hypnotherapy, and that means simply taking people either forward or reverse in time. And he had found that uh, people were able to sign their name. He would ask them to sign their name and in every case they could uh, under hypnosis progressed forward sign their name until they got to the year 2004 and then all they could do was make the sign of a cross and they could no longer sign their name because according to them they weren't there anymore makes sense to me son it does (laughs) sure between right now
1: or between last year and to 2004, everything's going to happen. I mean, the whole change is going to happen. You look at Asia, you look at where, I mean, the Mexicans, remember you were saying about people from Central and South America flooding across the borders? Yes, sir. And I said that 22 years ago. Now they have armies shooting them. I mean, as they herd sheep, and as they line the border with the military and they reinforce the patrol because millions of people are now coming across that border. And it's going to get, it'll get even worse than that. They're going to keep coming and it'll destabilize in Mexico and the Central American countries will begin to destabilize. It's just like what, whoever wrote that piece was. This is all happening. But this is also the greatest time of Enlightenment. I don't focus on all that stuff. Yes, it's coming because I was going to go to Egypt. You know how much I care about Egypt. And they're over there yes. shooting us. I know you have, uh, you have an orphanage, I believe. Yeah, in, I support in... an orphanage there and in Peru. Uh, Vida, a very fine organization. If anyone's interested, Vida is a very fine organization, but I support because I want to learn and grow and too many of the predictions come true and through this power of prayer, See, Art, this is the time, everybody that's listening, what I learned from this last experience is we really are where we think we are. We're great and powerful spiritual beings. We're on a mission. We're the best there is. We have the potential. As this world changes, and it's changing because this is what it's supposed to do. It's not anything focused on us. It's growing, and the banking establishment. And we just took and created 68 billion dollars to bail out the Pacific Rim countries, and another 60 billion to bail out Korea. And they're going to war with North, North Korea. South Korea. Yeah, South Korea and uh, South Korea and North Korea. And that money was just created. They just invented that money from nowhere to stabilize these countries. And Look where Tokyo is with 90% uh, devaluation in real estate. And I write about it. This is 22 years ago. Yeah, here it is, just like as you see in the quickening. Well, here it is. What do we do? Do we run to the highlands? No. If it's true, what What shall shall we we do? do? (laughs) You got it. I mean, when I came back after that and I entered those levels, I knew I was even greater than I even think that I could possibly be and it's learning about that now but it's really learning about applying all this stuff to everyday life out here among people going and looking for the same things that I'm looking for that I found them and at least a way that I can measure to see how it works and to watch the future and to be able to make a plan in these changing and wondrous times but by the time 2004 gets here and I say that the round off product would be 2012 to 13. I mean, that's what I, I wrote all this down, you know. And I never knew about the Mayans, knew anything about them in 1975. And I wouldn't care. There were some Indians somewhere in Central America. And that's how I thought about that. Then all of a sudden their time it's the same timetable, except
0: mine's maybe a little further than that. Well, they're all similar. Daniel, tomorrow night I'm gonna interview Robert Ghostwolf, Native American. Wonderful person. Wonderful person, yes. Um I interviewed recently Father Malachi Martin. All right. I've interviewed remote viewers. I've interviewed Danian Brinkley and people like him. I've interviewed uh, right. people from every discipline you can imagine, Danian, and you know, they all come at it from sort of a different perspective, but the story, in the end, is just about the same. Gonna, We're about to go through a big change. Now, there's it's lots... going to be fun. There are... Well, yeah. <laughs> there are some people, Danian, uh, who paint a very bleak, dark picture about what's going to occur with regard to Earth changes and more, and there are others who take a more spiritual perspective on what's going to occur, and that's you. But through this change, Daniel there are going to be a lot of people who are going to pass. Oh, absolutely. Hmm. Absolutely.
1: And knowing that, because it's this time, then the more you know about death, the less you will fear it. Precisely. And, I mean, that's
0: my whole... Ad- you know, it's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> so whether it's somebody uh, laying in bed listening to this tonight with a uh, a fatal tumor uh, or cancer or it's somebody looking ahead toward these changes, the net effect uh, is the same. We're all going to die. Oh, but we can do so much about it in between that time.
1: The power of prayer. The first thing I'd like to say is to everyone you just described, I love you very, very much, and I know what you're going through. <laughs> I don't need to feel your pain, but I know what you're going through, and we have an opportunity, whether we have tumors or whether we're going to be washed away by a stream or a thunderstorm or a volcano, or you know somebody setting off a nuclear weapon or something somebody brought in the food system from some country that kills us by the millions. Yep. We have the power of collectively joining together certain times at certain places and putting our energy through what I call prayer because it gives it that whole quality. And we can focus on any issue, and we can change it. And I know that for sure
0: because it saved my life. I believe it, Dan. I don't Uh, You know what, though? Daniel, I don't understand it. I believe in the power of prayer. Because it's real. Because you can literally document it. I mean, you actually can document it.
1: Like Larry Dossie has written two books, 435 Research Paradigms, but that never meant much to me until I'm lying in that bed. I come through that surgery, I'm experiencing this love. I'm experiencing it, and it's keeping me alive. And not only is it keeping me alive, it is allowing me to enter more refined levels of consciousness and energies that I could see multidimensional natures of myself, which
0: wasn't past and future. It was right then, happening then. I still don't understand it, Art. One of the most uh, brilliant men that I know... Um... Daniel, along with you, is a man named Dr. Michio Kaku. He's a physicist at uh, New York City University, and I interview him frequently. He is probably the next Carl Sagan. Uh, he's a man capable of explaining a very, very difficult uh, scientific uh, theory in in words that, you know, all of us can understand, and he believes firmly uh, without a doubt, in a multi-dimensional universe, many dimensions—ten uh, or more dimensions—in our universe, simultaneous timelines going on. I can swear there's four. I can't say there's ten, Art, but I can—I can swear there's four of them,
1: because. The combination of what I was going through in my mental physical self in the near death experience and drilling holes in my head, which are the two extremes, which yeah. really makes sense for, for a fool like me. And then what's keeping me alive is rat poison. Okay. And then all of a sudden by people who, who, or given me something that they think that they believe I gave to them a certain kind of love, whatever how greatness that is, what goes around comes around, to save my life. But it expanded my consciousness by letting me see at least these four other worlds.
0: I know they exist. It begins to help explain so much stuff that creates stress like... It does. Oh, do, you, do, you, do you think, Daniel, that you understand the nature of, of them? In other words here we are racing toward this event in this present timeline that we're all living in a series of events not i don't know, uh, uh, sure, all right even a series of events yeah. racing toward whatever in the hell's going to happen realization um uh, in this timeline happen. but is there some other dimension where something else is going on uh is the timeline and uh, event coming in this timeline inevitable locked in uh and, and at the same time is there a peaceful dimension elsewhere where all of this will not occur. Absolutely. And it all works through us. It all works through us. And I don't don't pin
1: me down to this art but because I'm studying it.
0: I'm still trying uh, to work it out yourself. Oh God
1: listen <laughs> after after I became aware of this place and I haven't words yet but there's four dimensions, and it understands how it focuses in each level of consciousness that we're all working in. I mean,
0: psycho babble in these early days. Yeah. But then, then think of this. There's As a lot so of people. Had, had to, let me interrupt. There's a lot of people out there right now that will sit there and say, "Man, what a bunch of psycho babble," and they're not listening all the way. Or I, you know, I can even understand how they feel. Me too. It's it's (laughs) psychobabble, but it's not. (laughs) I I, I
1: swear it's not, Art. And not only that, I've been them. I mean, hey, guys, I've been that. I am you. But I have to look at it because it happened to me. I didn't read any of these three things in a comic book. I didn't watch it at the movies. These things happened to me. cost me hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it has to benefit everybody that cared about me and that I care about them. And through Art Bell shows how I get to do that, tell people that I love them and care about them because they saved my life and gave me a dimension, a way to look that not only I can see it as I try to understand it, but I can figure out a way to do something about it to intermingle those energies and change through love, through prayer, and us working and focusing on it and becoming aware of death. Because if it's going to happen around us in a lot of different ways and a lot of surprising ways to destabilize our spiritual understanding of ourselves, then that must be put into place first and foremost. And the only way that you can do it and not be ch- attached to some kind of dogma is through the death experience, the near-death experience. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways. And to be able to change a whole paradigm and move spirituality to mainstream. Where people in 1940 to 1964,
0: and those a little older than that, we're losing people. How do we do that? that? How do we do that in a world so consumed with itself, with so that. much danger, with so much uh, going on around it? People are so busy just trying to survive every day, getting to work, um, uh, making a living, uh, trying to take care of their kids. They barely have time to. uh, consider any sort of spiritual anything. To them, it's, you know, a million miles away. Think about this, Art.
1: Let them get struck by lightning, let them have open-heart surgery, and let them have a brain surgery. And they better figure out how to find this time, Bubba. There's got to be an easier way, Danny. It is to look at understanding death. Art, when 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 in the course, let's finish this story so I can back through it. All right. We are only at the place where I'm out of surgery, where I come out of surgery. I'm struggling through these levels. I'm talking what you're hearing me say. And I'm at, I don't know where I am to you, but I'm watching this gathering. Then I come back after surgery. They put me in intensive care. And as I sit there for two days, I blow another one. I had another, a third subdual hematoma. Right. And it burst, uh, in my eye, just above my eye, in my frontal lobe. And 48, uh, about 13 hours after that, I had a cerebral uh, seizure. You know, and you remember that one? Of course. Hitting the walls and jerking tubes out of my head, and watching all that stuff going on, and not knowing where I was as I went from the most spiritual realm I had ever seen and a multidimensional psychology, watching it, and then I had a seizure, which you don't live through. You don't live through them. And each through each of those events, what I learned from the seizure which is always I've heard doctors describe what they thought the near-death experience was, frontal lobe seizure, temporal lobe seizure, oxygen brain deprivation, endorphin Mm -hmm. releases, peptide bonds breaking down, so much stuff. I got to see in the first part of the seizure exactly what they were talking about. That stuff that they're describing, they're doing a pretty good job when they're looking at their understanding of chemistry and what happens. Because I saw in a seizure where you see the tunnel and you, uh, have a life review where, you know, your life passes before you because that stuff happens in a seizure. It has nothing to do with what happens in a near-death experience. And then I went to 1969 and I wouldn't leave 1969. And because it was the place that I, my, 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 my brain and myself took refuge and it overpowered my spiritual place. And I watched this. I was privy because so much love was coming to me from people's prayers. The level at which I was surviving and observing the near-death experience was so superior to anything
0: I'd ever experienced. that That's why I tell people thank you from the bottom of my heart. I you know. I remember me. you calling day after day and saying, I can feel it. I couldn't believe it, aren't I? I was living it. it. You know, there was all of a sudden so much
1: other stuff from when I, and it's, what it was doing was it was us, the people listening to this show and, and people that, are, that knew about me and that cared, that I never even, I couldn't deal with the fact that they cared that much. That was so amazing to me, my God. But the fact that as I was feeling it, nothing could tell me that that wasn't what it was. And I could experience it and it had a depth to me and it had a, uh, it had a a dimension to it. And it took a lot. It was a lot of people. I know that. But my God, look at the potential. Look what happens when I can say that's who kept me alive. That is what allowed me to explore levels. I'm still trying to understand
0: from the great gathering. What when the world was all of that? But I know it's in me. All right, Daniel, what is your current condition?
1: Well, I'm taking it a day at a time, and as I take it a day at a time, I'm getting better. I'm having still problems with my blood, these severe headaches, and
0: trying to match the drugs, and taking it really easy. In other words, they're trying to find the right combination level of drug for you to stabilize you. And natural processes. But even now, you're not really stable. These blood counts of yours are jumping all over the place, and Absolutely. they can't can't even begin to figure out why, can they?
1: No. We're trying, I mean, and it's a lot of things going on and it creates headaches and uh really s- terrible swings. I mean, swings that'll, that can kill you in uh how my blood clots from one level to the other level. But, you know, um, it's something transforming and maybe what's happening to me is a, a small-scale part of what we're talking about that these events are to occur. You know, uh, as I lay in that hospital art and I looked at that ceiling, I started thinking that here I am again looking up instead of looking down, and maybe it was time for me to learn that perspective. Mm. You see, and, and I work on the CIA. I, I want people to to find this place that I hope I'm discovering and to find this place to deal with this, because if we deal with this, we death, And how it happens around us and sometimes the situations of which it will now occur because of these transitions, we must bring spirituality to center focus. And being a veteran of three of these things, then having the seizure and then watching the levels of what we're capable of doing, I wouldn't miss this. I wouldn't, you know, I fought hard to get back here. (laughs) you were there I was there
0: to get back here and it wasn't because I'm afraid of what's on the other side I was there Uh, that's a fact Danian that kind of catches us up to the present Uh, when we come back I want to take some phone calls absolutely sounds like you're doing well this evening Uh, after you've gone through something like this you have good and bad days and I think we've caught them on a good one that's lucky I'm Art Bell, and there it is, folks. The story of Daniel Brinkley. Again, Daniel, a lot of people want to talk to you, and uh, I think we have hope it's not to yell at me about uh, their book. Yeah. L- <laughs> while we're at it, and before we begin, there are you calculate now there were thousands of books that. Oh were, yeah, thousands, thousands. Uh, but you're calculating there are about seventy-five books. I know there is out there, and I don't know who you are. That fell through the... the...
1: No, it got turned out and knocked over and thrown out in the yard when they turned over all the file cabinets. Whatever they were looking for and plundering through, they went through every box and every file cabinet and dumped the stuff out and broke the... You know, I, I just... I did it the best that I could after getting up and coming to clean all this stuff up that they just dumped out everything. All right, so if you're one of the
0: people who ordered a book and didn't get it... Send uh, me a postcard, please. Send a postcard to Danian Brinkley, P.O. Box 1919 in Aiken, that's A-I-K-E-N, Aiken, South Carolina, not Georgia. South Carolina, (laughs) (laughs) zip code 29802. And I can match it
1: and make sure they get out, because I've gotten a few returns. I mean, you're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of books, but it still drives me crazy, because it's my word. and all the things and the nice things that people have said as i've gone through this art so many of your listeners and the nice things that they say and the opportunities they give me i appreciate it and i want everybody to have their books because i think they're good i mean and i i think they've set up a way that i can really in this next book is and just the stuff i'm learning about about what's happening that i can just help people more and more I stay in healthcare because I know that medicine is better living through chemistry. And that's where healthcare is going and the control of vitamins, you know, all my issues, the Access to Medical Treatment Act. Oh, yes. And, you know, I, every, you know, maybe I'll get another chance when I know more about this to, uh, to tell people, but Access to Medical Treatment Act and how I deal with those because I know if we can look at the near-death experience, and use practical application of the things
0: that you learned from it, and use caring about each other in prayer, we can change it. All right, Daniel, here they come. Uh, Hello. First time caller line, you're on the air with Danion Brinkley. Good morning. Hello. Hello there. Uh, I don't know where that caller is. Now, let me see. Am I doing something? Oh, I see what I... No, I'm not. No, I don't see what I I'm doing. I'm him, uh, I can hear him, Art. Yeah, I know, but for some reason, he's not going on the air. Hold on here. Let me try this again. Um, are you there, caller? Yeah, I for some reason, uh I guess you're on with Danyan. Danian can hear you, but for some reason you're not uh let me put you back on hold and see if I can jog something here. Something is something is drastically.
1: He's wrong. one of the he's probably that E. T. that we had uh you were talking about in that tape that was
0: interrogated. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's there, but doggone it, I can't hear him. I don't understand this. Let me try one of other lines. So what is you your something. name? No, hold on. Oh, wild wildcard line, are you there? Hello there. Yeah, you're there too, but you're not going on the air. Uh, let me see. Uh, immediate diagnosis of what could be wrong. Uh, let's, let's, let's try it again. Let's go back to this first caller. Caller, are you there? Hello?
6: All right. Got it. Am I on? Hey, you're on, okay. yes. Uh, well, thanks for taking my
0: call, Mr. Sorry Powell. for that difficulty. Uh, switch in the wrong position here, concrete no,
6: they electronics. Nothing more complicated than a knife and fork. It wasn't them. It was me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. Uh, well, as far as earth changes are concerned, uh, you might want to check with um, the uh, the fellow here, Jim Berkland. He's got some amazing news about um, the Mammoth Lakes area.
0: I'm very well aware of that. I will get Jim Berkland on the air maybe as early as Friday, uh, no later than next week. Uh, there are some very disturbing things going on at Mammoth. How yeah,
6: a that. lot of Bajan radios might be needed in that area. I hear you. Really you. Understand. I like this guy. Mr. Mr. Brinkley, yes, um, I, I really, uh, I have to tell you, I read your book, and I was astonished. It was as if I came out of a, a 20-year dream. Uh, 20 years ago, I had my throat cut. In a uh, parking lot on the East Coast, and I had a very, very strange experience. It was me that did it? Was it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was First, a, let me make a, sure certain, you... there was a personality change, very similar. I, I, I was a 25-year-old ignorant thug at the time was a well, my home, brother. But uh, I had an, a, a really astonishing experience, and and so much of what I I didn't have anything quite as dramatic as you, uh, but I did. Have that life review where I got to feel what everybody I harmed felt, and uh, that was really horrifying. I I reached that moment of uh, of uh, real despair over uh, over that one. Been there, done that, brother. Three times in a row. (laughs) Wow, I know. There's I'm getting better though. Right, the the fear of death after that was gone, and it was you know freak accident that I not well as we know there are no accidents really. It's uh, the lesson you chose to learn. Right, right. The, the, there was uh, uh, quite a, a number of things, which I, I tried to talk about one time too, uh, shortly afterwards with a uh, professor of psychology who went on to tell me about how the chemicals are released in the brain. You just mentioned this on the air. And uh, I didn't talk about it again for many years. I know those. There's a lot of people I know the same way. Man. And then I read your book and I said, this is not, uh this is just like an old, old dream that I remembered. But I, I a thing did happen, and it's the reason I wanted to talk to you. Um I went through some of the stuff, like being able to pick the next number to come up on the wheel. That was kind of fun. I was <laughs> pretty good at people. that myself, but mostly I had to have things that were alive. It had to be
1: horses or dogs or animals. Yeah, I read
6: that. Right, my thing was wheels.
1: I never could pick
6: numbers like that. Yeah, <laughs> it, it for a summer. I could pick wheels, and I scared a few people with that. And I, I, I just remembered this when I, when I wrote, you, uh, read your what book. What happened was I kind of just dusted that whole thing off. I had a major life change. I got a degree and a license to practice physical therapy, of all things. Congratulations. And uh, I went on to but I kind of just dropped that whole thing and went after the buck. And a lot of the intuitive stuff that had happened just seemed to just fade away. Yep. Sounds, I, sounds exactly accurate so far. <laughs> and I, I just wondered... You know how you? I've experimented in ways to try to regain that contact. I went out in the desert listen. one time I, and I got you. Them. Listen huh? to me.
1: Find something that you get up for each day, worth equal to that dollar. Right. I work hard. Uh-huh. I mean, like everybody listening, but I also care about people dying alone. I'm a hospice volunteer. Yes. And I wake up every morning that no one will die alone as I put. Everything I do in living and taking care of my health, and Mm -hmm. we're trying to put my heart back together. I know it works because I'm still alive. I know it works because I find a whole new reason and a whole new system of perceptions. When it's I'm as I'm getting, I'm doing the same thing in my spiritual self as I'm doing in my physical self, and I'm using my mind and my heart to make the proper decisions
6: and plan for each day. Mm So, what you do is you start there a new a new discipline no not a, kind of no, I, no, I've no, always no, tried no. to help people ever since. well, the here's the only thing that I got when I got my life review was um uh, um the instruction to always be kind well i mean, it uh, seemed so good, important. It's a good thing they didn't show that to me. <laughs> oh, I'd be depressed
0: all of the time. Oh, God. What, so <laughs> what you learn from the near-death experience... And constantly in violation.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yep.
1: But <laughs> what, what the near-death experience teaches is just what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The near-death experience, when you have a panoramic life review or you just study people's panoramic life reviews... Mm-hmm. I was watching where... uh James Redfield put a section in his new book, Celestine Vision, about the panoramic life of you as the most significant part of the near-death experience. Mm-hmm. Well, it is that. Yeah. Because when you hear people listen to how that works, that you not only see your life pass before you, you watch it like you're a friend of yours going through stuff that you can do nothing about, right. and you become every person. Mm-hmm. Then by being, doing for the, what appears to be being a good, nice person, like, like I'll say, me doing hospice, I know I'm gonna be those people that I help. Mm-hmm. I know I'm gonna feel the joy of when I go in that room. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go to find something to care about, if it's, I do. I choose hospice, and I support hospice. But you can be a big brother. You can be a friend to people. You can deliver meals on wheels. Yeah. I mean, and these are not something you're doing because you're a nice guy. It's a, it's a something that you can do that automatically sets in focus a system yep. right. that you learn from the
0: that the, you learn from the near death experience. That is true. That you can start using, and it will work. All right. Right. Well, I, I appreciate, of course. Thank you. And and daniel I, to me. Having a panoramic life review that includes feeling what others have felt from you is the most terrifying thing I could even imagine.
3: Well, I've run through it three times, Art. Because I've hurt people.
0: I know I have, done. Oh, God, it. me too, man. In the first one, it was horrendous.
1: But you know something, Art? Remember, it's only a part of a system. There is a whole system. It doesn't stop on one simple part. You yeah. will review your life. You will see the difference that you made. I mean, and I keep telling people, you are, you don't measure yourself by what you think about it. If God couldn't come today, if the spiritual world or the greatness and the goodness and the gentleness and the kindness and the love like a mother gives a child You know, how sharks take care of children. I mean, how the whole nature of motherhood and that that kind of love, if that can come into play and you have that, then what happens is you really start to change it. You're not afraid of having a
0: panoramic life review. It's a part of the system. Yeah, but you've had an experience that others haven't had uh, in this life. I well, mean, I don't
1: recommend they have
0: not I, I, I recommend I them listening to I understand, but, but, but even listening to you, this is going to occur when we pass. Oh, and, absolutely. And I can't think of any greater judgment than that which you would pass upon yourself feeling what you did to others. You would be the one to pay, pass, pass judgment upon yourself. There's absolutely. no, no question and about you it. are. You are horrendous to yourself. I bet. East to the Rockies. You're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hello. Hi, turn your radio off, please.
4: Oh, okay. Is that better?
0: That's better. Oh, Hello.
4: Hi, this is Stephanie from Brooklyn.
1: Hi, Stephanie. Welcome.
4: Welcome
1: yourself. <laughs> are you listening to WABC? Yep. All right.
4: <laughs> I just wanted to know how you're doing and... Hopefully, you're doing
1: better. Better. I mean, yeah. I have problems, you know, but considering where we started, Steph, I've come a long way, and I've taken it easy, which has been driving me crazy, But and going to the doctor, and I have a good day, so like five decent, you know, from horrendous to decent, and then I have two good days. Mm. But, you know, you just do it a step at a time, but I'm going to be here.
2: Good, because we need you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steph. Uh, I wanted to ask one question.
0: Sure. Uh, will you be there next month on the cruise? Um. Uh. Uh, well, alright. It's not actually next month. I think it's, uh, the cruise, let me, uh. We're doing two cru- uh Yes, I'll be on that cruise. On the 25th. Uh, yes.
4: February 25th. I'm
1: gonna be on it. Okay, so yes. that's one I didn't even know about. <laughs> I snuck it in on art because. He he chastises me so for working. <laughs> uh, he and Ramona beat me really, really bad. Stephanie, you are blown I'm it. I'm definitely going to be there, and I'm taking the cruise just because you're there. Well, I'm definitely going to be there, and by then I will have even figured out more stuff. Where are you going? I am not telling you, Art. <laughs> I'll never hear the end of Stephanie, it.
0: Stephanie, where is he going? Ramona. Oh
1: God, how could you do this to me, <laughs> Steph? <laughs> <laughs>
0: And they Listen, they really come after. While we're while we're on the subject of cruises, we've got one we're going to do together. Oh God! It's- May May tenth through the seventeenth. This is going to be a whiz banger because uh, the wild man himself, Doctor Zaya Wass, the uh, director <laughs> of antiquities in uh, at Giza. Yeah. <laughs> He's gonna be there. You'll be there. Hancock, Ram Hancock, Robert Baval, Dr. Ed Krupp, and I'm gonna try and moderate this whole thing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm ordering my bulletproof vest. You better. But you know something, Art? <laughs> for once, for
1: once, the ground rules will be laid out and verified and told to your audience. The ground rules for to come in and bringing this to a focus, and to bring it to a perspective, and to and to look at ways to move from it in a constructive fashion will be laid down because of this cruise and what each comes to talk about. And you, as the the you know, you don't really you hold a really level place, and you explore it. And you know, here comes finally a chance. I was proud. I how it came together and how we got a part of it. I'm really proud of it. I. Uh, and it's done in a way, like uh, in Alaska, and it's done in a way where we can look at the vastness
0: and the beauty of the world. Yeah, that maybe life? that'll quiet everybody down a little bit. I can well, only give hope. Give us it.
1: perspective.
0: Yeah, uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Uh, Z- Zayewas, Dr. Was, called me from Cairo several times and browbeat me until I said, "All right, I, I'm serious." He really did. He said, "I'm not going if you don't do it. I'm not going to go." Yeah, well. I'm so, glad you're doing it. Anyway, we are going on that and uh anybody who wants to come along, it's one eight hundred eight 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 five five zero nine. I sh I, I forget to give that out. It's one eight hundred eight 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 five five zero nine. Or if you're in California, area code three ten five six eight zero one three eight. It's just one of those rare times. Right, I look forward to it. I
1: get it's a family on this boat, and I mean on the ship, and I I can spend that time, and I like the cruises, their their quality, and it's people yearning for it, and we get a chance to, if all that Casey stuff is true,
0: yeah, we get a help to define an era that determines consciousness changing. Yeah, you know what Zai says though. He says that's not 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 a bit of it's true. He said there has never been one artifact one grain of sand to indicate that uh, Atlantis was ever here. Oh, is this going to be fun? That's Zahi. <laughs> <laughs> but you know
1: what? I believe
0: what Buzahi
1: believes, he believes is true. I believe it, but I've seen too much and listened to too much for it not to come to a place where it can be explored and studied with given equal ground to all those places. It's still, the truth
0: is still going to be the truth, Art. I hear you. All right, stay right where you are. We've got one last segment to do and we're going to lay heavily into the phones. From the high desert, person, somebody in Beaverton, Oregon, and of course, I'm getting a gazillion faxes and I'm just not going to have an opportunity to uh, read them all on the air, but this one hit the mark. Listen to this, Daniel. Art, I've heard you and Danian ever since the first time he was on your show. One, I've never heard you talk to anyone like you are tonight with Danian, even earlier times with Danian himself. Two, I've never heard Danian laugh like he has tonight. What am I hearing? And I can answer that. You're hearing uh Danian Brinkley and Art Bell um, after, after something has happened that changed both of them and, uh, you know, I went and I sat by Daniel's bed and said goodbye to him. And we talked about many things that we need not repeat here, but you're talking, you're listening to two people who know each other now in a way they did not know each other before. And that's why it sounds different. I know Daniel's secrets; he knows mine. uh I guess we know each other's deepest fears, and so you're hearing a different uh a deeper uh relationship or you're you're hearing the edges of it. Uh, is that a fair comment, Daniel
1: Absolutely. It's about loving each other. Look, art. here comes a whole new world. We're hearing me laugh cause I'm happy to be alive. But I'm happy to be alive because I'm living in the greatest times and moments, and I get a chance to make a difference from what I went through. Again, they always change; those things change your whole life, and you're going through it with me and watching the ins and outs and the days. Yeah, because it was going to be an end, and I think that it can be possible for everybody who listens and pays attention, and I mean they can do the be the same place and. So whoever this person is, I thank you very much for what you see and
0: what you say. Just very observant of them. I mean, they're, they're absolutely correct. Uh, East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Good morning.
5: Good morning, Art. Good morning, Daniel Who's this? Marsha in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Good morning, Marsha. Good morning. I just wanted to comment, Daniel that, uh, number one, it is the greatest honor for me to speak to you. I'm in the process of reading your book, A Peace in the Light. Thank you very, very much. I ran across it in the bookstore. I recognized your name from Art Show. I Yay. grabbed it and my husband looked at me. I said, there's no way I'm walking out of here without it." <laughs> Thanks. But, of uh, you have really brought a lot of light to some of the things I've been going through for the last year and a half. I'm We're happy. all entering that stage okay. We're it's there. it's scary.
1: Yeah, but it's also wondrous to explore. Look, you're not going to die. I tell us that, and I I can back it up with enough photos that art has and enough stuff that at least I've been to the place where I'd have an option to look at it from. Then how do we centralize spirituality? I say good hospice work. I mean, anybody can write me in... uh, put Compassion in Action or CIA and at the same address in Aiken, and I'll make sure the information gets out to them. But you have an opportunity to change this world and to change yourself. So,
5: hey. That's what I've been working on for the last year and a half, and hearing you on art show and reading your books is a tremendous guidebook for me.
1: God, and I tried to write them that way. And you know, Art Bell, Art Bell has a unique way of getting people at a comfortable place to where they can explore it. And I try to just tell the truth about what I've been through and try to help people with it because I don't think they ought to go through it. And yes, this is some pretty wild stuff, but what does it really mean if you don't die? the freedoms that come with it and the the learning about the panoramic life of you and being able to deal with losing our loved ones, but heaven's gaining them. And what happens to us as a spiritual being gives us back our strength, gives us back control of our lives and in our health care and where the government's going and financial collapse, like that gold commercial I just heard, I'd recommend everybody ought to call and get that information, whether they make a move or not, they should get it. Right. And start looking that it is our spiritual self and that we designed a world that's going to change very rapidly just to see how good we are yeah. and how fast we can hold to our spiritual self. Mm-hmm. So keep it, that in mind. Thanks for reading, and make sure you get uh, the next one. (laughs) Oh, I
5: will. Could I ask one question of you?
1: Oh, I'm sorry, yes.
5: If you had one quick piece of advice to give someone who is just being awakened or quickened, pardon me, Art, to all of the changes and all of the different dimensions around us, what would that one piece of advice
1: be as far as listening? to yourself. Yeah. Listening to yourself as you read it and what you feel about it and as you reinforce it by listening to a lot of different perspectives from arts to mind to other people. Stay true to you. People try to tell me I hadn't have a near death experience. Well let them drill holes in their head. People trying to tell you that you know, like I tell you, if you want you make a payment you got an opinion. And other than that it's just an opinion. Yeah. Make right. when you feel it, and you read it. You find organizations and groups like Art's website, and I hope to soon have one. I'm learning about that stuff where you can come find me, and I can talk back and forth. And and
0: what you do is stay true to you. Yep, I that that really is. Thank you, ma'am. That's really good advice. Um, now, almost everybody, no, maybe everybody, they have a voice. They it, it, they they speak to themselves. Uh, a lot of times they don't listen. They don't take their own advice.
3: But yeah, if you I'm good stop at that.
0: and you, well, yeah, you are. And, uh, <laughs> if you stop and listen to your own advice, uh, you're, you're hardly ever going to go wrong. You're just not going to go wrong. Um,
1: connect to the spiritual side of you. You know, your advice and when you're thinking is one thing, but there's a spiritual side to you and everybody has it. And just figuring out how we keep that and bring that into focus. Cause once you come, you, you match those two sides, You're not only listening to yourself from what you've gathered as data. You're supporting yourself by the spiritual perspective on it. I mean, that's how you do it. I know that because I have found through three near-death
0: experiences. All right. That's how it works. Uh, First time caller line, you're on the air with Danian Brinkley and Art Bell. Hello.
4: Hello.
0: Hi there. Where are you?
4: I'm in Pueblo, Colorado.
0: Colorado. All right. And who are you?
4: Uh, my name's Kathy Daniel, and you know, I've been following your story since the first time I heard of uh, the first experience you had when when you were struck by lightning.
1: So you like studying idiots?
4: I know. <laughs> I, I've done my own spiritual quest since eighty four, and um, I haven't had to have a near death experience to to know that the soul never dies.
1: Thank God. I know, but,
4: and, and I'm I'm I I love you so much. And oh, I, thanks, Kathy. I. Bless you for what you do with uh, terminal patients, and God, I just. Uh, are you still working with Doctor Moody?
1: Yeah, I've we you, know. uh,
4: interviewed with him and and working with him. Well, things uh, have meant so much to me as yours.
1: Well, I talk to Raymond on a regular basis, and you know we explore some things together, and we have differences, opinions or other things, but of course, <laughs> uh, he's like a brother to me, and yes, I talked to him just uh, I think yesterday or the day before. Oh, I, I love his books, too. He's just a great guy. I think that hospice work, like what you're talking about, I mean, for people who don't know that, I've been a hospice volunteer for 19 years, and mm-hmm. I just am a 158th person. So when I talk about near-death experience and stuff, like, you know, Kathy, I, yes. I do this every day. I don't live in some tower. I'm in nursing homes, and I'm dealing with hospice programs, and this last lady was breast cancer, and it was, it was you know, pretty terrible. but helping her there because I'm gonna be that person again and I find a value of myself when I'm the difference that spirituality makes. Yeah. When someone's scared of facing that other side. And I well, kinda of,
4: I bless geez. you for that because you know I'll tell you, um my parents have both passed and my dad, uh, bizarrely enough, he was very pragmatic and and linear, logical person, but he got some very deep spiritual beliefs before he died, and he said, I swear to you, if there's any way I can tell you what happens, I I will. And he did. It was a year and a half after he died, but I had a communication with him, and I know it was him.
1: 66% of all widowers in surveys have some kind of contact. Mm -hmm. I I don't have any doubt that you can get back. I I know people like James Von Prague and a, a guy, John. I can't think of John's last name and George Anders.
0: And- you know, I had James Von Prague on the oh, He's terrific. And I just got a fax from somebody who said uh, Von Prague was on uh, Larry King last night. Well, that's where he's supposed to be. What if he did to Larry King?
1: That'd <laughs> <I>, uh- <laughs> <laughs> be so much fun. I can't wait to talk to him.
0: All right. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Daniel Brinkley. Hello. Hello. Hi. I'm on. Uh you, Hello?
3: Yes, you are. Where are you? I'm in North Carolina. Okay. Daniel, um, I met L- your you- name. Uh, my name is Archer. Hi, Archer. Hi, Daniel. Uh, I met you two years ago at in Wilmington. At the uh metaphysics show. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to say, um, I still like me. Man, I still love you. What are you talking about? <laughs> Thanks, Archer. I um I prayed that you would live because we need you
1: you're one of those people who did that to me, huh? Yes, sir. Thank you. I mean, yeah. you Archer, I came to a realization about the collective power of prayer. You know, I thought of it as non-local energy and listening to what Larry says and how people make it so clinical. I never realized the collective power of people who love each other and what they can direct that power toward. And I mean, thanks for
3: doing that. I mean, thanks. Oh, there's no question about it. Um, I, I know also that the soul never dies and it, and it's, and we live in other dimensions and multidimensionality. Why didn't you tell me? Uh, well, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't realize it fully like I do now. Okay. Well, thanks a lot,
1: Archer. Uh, You know, if somebody would have told me, I wouldn't have believed it, but you know, I have to learn the way I learn. I'm glad you learned it a lot easier.
3: Right. I'm working with a mutual friend of ours right now to learn more every day. Um, Who's that? That's Reverend Kimberly Henry. Alright. And she is enlightening me uh, every, every day. Um and I have learned a lot from, from you and your books, but I just wanted to say that, uh. Thanks, thanks, Archer, because let me tell you something. What I just went through has a lot of spiritual, mystical
1: stuff to it. Has a lot of pain and a lot of insecurities that I'd never have. But when something like this happens, you have to really face your life and look at whether I can walk up the stairs or sit down and the pain that I go through. And maybe hearing from people that that contributed to it and put a lot of prayer in there Mm -hmm. gives me a place to rebuild and refine myself. It's why I like art shows. Art shows are the shows where I can just be me and open my heart up and look at myself and share with it and know that I got brothers and sisters out there. that are the people of the night doing the same thing. And I... I am feel free and open to talk about what I'm going through and hoping that it helps
0: them. And All it's right. nice to hear from you. Danion, here we go. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. I'm Art Bell. He's Danion Brinkley. Who are you?
2: I'm Kathy from Phoenix. Hi, Hi Kathy. Kathy. Hi. I. This This is weird. I'm, I'm incoherent. I knew I had to get home tonight. I knew that if I called, I would get to speak to you.
1: <laughs> Don't you love these coincidences? Yeah.
2: <laughs> and, and I want to thank you. You've had a profound, uh, what do you call it, on my life. Uh, an effect? effect, yes. And... uh it wasn't bad, was it? Oh, no. It was when I first heard you, I had, a, a, I guess, an empathic reaction. And like oh, the previous callers have said, I love you. I love you. And I prayed for you.
1: And I thank you for that.
2: <laughs> and... The hospice work, you are very important. You have to take care of yourself and keep it up.
1: My father passed Yes, Mom. (laughs) But I can tell you this, Kat. Listen, after the pain that I just went through, I can promise you I'm doing a lot better. Okay. And thanks for calling because it's nice to hear from us. It's nice to hear from us. And new things are coming New things, new changes. I, I'm just putting it in order.
2: So many new things have happened to me since 1965. My father had uh, cancer of the brain, and he died, but we had hospice.
1: It's the greatest I, thing in the
2: world. I cannot say to anyone listening how much that got us through. They they let us know what to look for. They gave us a list of the I'm, kinds of symptoms. Uh, and without it, I don't think we could have made it. My sisters and I will forever be grateful to hospice. For it's what time for you to run. become
1: a volunteer now.
2: Uh-huh. And I, mean, I have that's the time. <laughs>
1: compassion, you can find the time. I have it. Then, then go for it. I mean, write me at Compassion in Action here at 1919 in Aiken. And I'll send you out a bunch of propaganda of what I'm trying to do and how I'm trying to put a mystical side and a spiritual side to the death experience to create closure in families because once that's in place, that is what we now think is the most fearful thing becomes the place that is the most stable, most loving, most supportive place for you to face what's coming in the future. And I'm excited. I'm excited to be back and to be alive And to have this opportunity, and I thank everybody who, just like you, helped me.
2: Well, a couple of years ago, I could, I don't know if I could have, 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 you know, bought into all of this.
1: Well, when they they cut your heart heart. out, if they'd have cut your heart out a couple of years ago, you
2: would have. (laughs) Well, I kind of lost my heart a couple of years ago, but my father went through some experiences. He saw a light. right. He asked me if I could see the light. Mm. He saw people that he had known. He
0: saw his father and his mother. Um, you, know, you can only listen to so many millions of testimonies <laughs> yeah. like this before before you, you've you got to start believing. You've got to it's start... like osmosis, if nothing else. Yeah. You know, let me give your address again so I don't have to send it to a million people. It's Daniel <laughs> Danian Brinkley. You're so wild. Post Office Box 1919 in Aiken, A-I-K-E-N, South Carolina, nine 802, right? Yes, and just write CIA on the card. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, you want to tell everybody how you picked CIA? I mean, Compassion in Action. You probably came up with the initials first, uh, some of your old buds. Yeah, friends of mine
1: from a long time ago, just what we were talking about in the beginning of the show. It was a way to kind of, kind of gig them back that. Now, the part that that's what everybody refers to as the CIA, but it was a lot of agencies that I just took that <laughs> and did it in such a way that uh Compassion in Action, the Twilight Brigade and how it's set up is much formatted the way that uh that operation was in those days and it's done you know it's done overtly instead of covertly but it's the same way and I figured that when you did something in honor to protect a country as great as this and in soldiers and in people in nursing homes that if you did it the same way and you put love and love and a true honesty about what you say instead of what our our intelligence apparatus in the covert world (laughs) that we now live in became in existence that maybe I could transform it and I go to soldiers and you know, my regular people. So people, if they want to know more about it, write me and I'll pass that on and see till it gets out. And, you know, if you want to know what I'm doing and get the newsletter, okay, write me. I will get it out and I will have it right. You know, unless I
0: die again and then I'll get behind. But, you know, I'm sorry for those <laughs> that I'm late. But. Unless I got, die again, then I'll get behind. I'm i won't gonna, get I got to remember that sentence. Unless I die again, I won't get behind. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I thought you said, if I die again, then I'll get behind. Oh, no, Art, I'm not letting you or anybody else off that
1: easy. I'm staying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying. There is too much. I believe more in people and what we're here for and what we're capable of doing collectively to find something we all pray about and change it and show the power of who we are because... We have love and understanding and this thing of fear of death so that we can make a decision. See Art, I look at managed care and you know you know how fanatical I am about all of that. I do. You know, I drive people crazy with it, but I look at we must pay attention to in this next uh congressional uh hundred and fifth or sixth congress, whatever it is, they're gonna take away our rights to vitamin supplements. They're going to change everything that we got in the vitamin supplement. Over my dead body. Well, over mine too, but that's what people must watch for, and they must listen to you, and they must research this out because for the freedoms that we have, they must be taken away, and I think the health care, because it exists from cradle to the grave, must be watched carefully and paid a lot of attention to, and I, I do a lot of that, and I
0: put us in places like the CIA so people can be observant and also be of service. All right, my friend. You've done it. Uh, Obviously, you are better. You made it through four hours just like that. It's gone. Show's over and all that stuff, so... You need to go back and rest, but you sure gave us your best, Daniel. Thanks, Art, and I love everybody, and I thank them, and God bless Art Bell and Ramona and everybody that listens to this, and I'll be back, and I'll figure it all out. Good night, my friend. Good night. Thanks, Art. Take care. That's Daniel Brinkley. I'm Art Bell, and that's it from the windy high desert this night. Tomorrow night, Robert Ghostwolf. Good night.